1: Welcome to Hot D, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season one, episode nine of the Green Council. It's the feedback episode.
2: Aaron, how's that feedback looking? The feet bag, Jim? Jesus. Ugh. Come on Why now. you gotta do I this thought we were, I thought we were gonna try to move past this. Uh, it was <laughs> it was swole. It was swollen. Uh, yeah? Turgid. Yeah. I, I
1: think you gotta soak those feet. And then if they're all swollen and turgid, yeah. Soak them,
2: yeah. Throw, throw the whole email bag, uh feedback into uh, a tub of Epsom salt. Yep. see what Make happens. Email
1: tea <laughs>
2: that would definitely kill Diana. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we got a lot of feedback. Uh, important note: we had a little referendum on leal versus non leal, and I kept a little tally as I was working through feedback and and got stuff. and Eleven to one, the leal people of the realm have spoken they they want they want the podcast to keep it leal. Oh, okay. Uh, Great. Note, special note on that. If you go to merch.baldmove.com, you can buy a Keep an Allele t shirt in green and yellow Hightower colors or mm-hmm. r- black and red Targaryen colors. Mm-hmm. How about that? You can keep it allele to either Team Green or Team Black. I like it. Uh, at merch.baldmove.com. All right. Enough hawking. Let's get on to the first feedback message. Uh, hotiepallmove.com by the way is where you send the, that's the hotline to to get consideration for this week's cast. Uh, we got a whole bunch of stuff. We got some general notes, we got some uh, uh beasts beneath the board truthers that think there's more to this story. We got some defenses of of Auto uh, High Um we got some defenses of Rainis Re- or as we like to call her Rainus Uh, And then we also have our Council of Blacks and Council of Greens. So let's get to it. Matt's up first. says an important thought about your musing on twins. Remember, we said, how weird is it that identical twins get onto the baddest ass bodyguard team on Planetos? Yeah, the short list. Matt says you're correct, of course, that most twins do not uh, reach equal heights of achievement, just as most siblings do not. But there are many examples of what you might call combat sports. Of twins pushing each other to extreme heights on, and this is the key—the same path. Something about ceaselessly fighting someone exactly your same size as a kid seems to be an advantage. It would be—that would be fun, Mm -hmm. like the ultimate shadow, you know, shadow match, right? Sure, mirror match. In boxing, there is the Kalichko brothers of the of Ukraine, both champions and now leading uh, the real actual war. Interesting. Got Jermel Charlo and Jermal Charlo, but perhaps the pair I think of most for Eric and Arik are Tom and Terry Brand from Iowa. They're identical twins and real wrestling megastars. Their ceaseless, most people would say psychotic sibling rivalry to push them each other led them to multiple state titles in high school, multiple national titles in college, Olympic team success, gold and silver between them. And now they're each uh, the head coach and associate head coach at Iowa, and won the national title last year. This wasn't the only one; I got like four different ones, all with unique sightings of people who, uh, especially in sporting contests, tend to uh, or not not tend to. It's just it's just not it's not unheard of, I would say. So, I feel like they're doing it wrong. I feel like instead
1: of competing, you should work together. Like imagine if Joey Chestnut had an identical twin, Joey Chestnut being the hot dog eating champion of the world. Thank you. Because I didn't Uh, know. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Joey Chestnut gets like halfway through his eating challenge and then, you know, ducks under the table and then, oh, here comes Bo Chestnut to finish off that plate, right? Like... Sure. Not that Joey needs the help. He's doing pretty good on his own, but...
2: Um, Yeah, we together. What they need to do is... uh, have some doctor, unethical doctor, so I don't know, like <laughs> like they're 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 oh no left and right butt cheeks together so they're conjoined twin and they can eat for one.
1: Okay. But yeah, you're yeah. The, the, the
2: the the like duck beneath the table and another guy, you know, it's like, hey, I dropped something. Whoop, and another guy yeah. pops up, ah, I can eat twice as many hot yeah. That's uh <laughs> <laughs> that's the real deal. I just need Uh, uh, yeah. uh, it's too late for me to sire twins but someone out there get on that Uh, Vanessa why do Luke and Jake have nicknames Jace rather the show portrays the brothers as very likable as you say the show is leaning towards team black how better to endear the boys to the audience than to give them nicknames we typically give nicknames of those we feel affection for so the show is using that trick of psychology to their advantage
0: interesting
2: that's the way because these these nicknames are book canonical um but i Mm. think they're on to something that even martin seems to be maybe putting his thumb a little bit on that side of the scale um if this theory is true what do you think of it jim
1: yeah that makes sense uh i definitely don't give nicknames to my enemies
2: i don't have many enemies but probably wouldn't give them nicknames uh, so there you go. They're they're psychologically conditioning the us to think of them as the good old boys, in contrast to this on. They could call him Egg if people liked them. Mm-hmm. Damon, you could call him Momo, Mondo, uh, <laughs> A A A Mo. <laughs> uh uh-huh. And Helena, just yeah, Helen. Yeah, hell, come on, Helen. Hell, even better, Lena, Lena. Uh, moving on to Ian, you mentioned Rhaenyra having bastards uh, being treason and compared to the Cersei's bastards of Jaime. I have doubts about this as Rhaenyra is the heir herself with the royal blood flowing through her and they are her children. So it isn't at all like Cersei having bastards and pretending that they were the king's blood. The closer comparison is Bobby B having bastards all over the place, which no one seemed to care about. That wasn't seen as treason. I guess the difference is he didn't try to pretend they were his true-born heirs. Ding, ding, ding. I had never considered the potential treason of her children's alleged bastardhood, so this was an interesting take for me. Also, though, as the king wouldn't Viserys proclaiming them as his trueborn sons and heirs legitimize them anyway, uh, there is precedent for Targaryen kings to have legitimized their bastards. This later note is true, <laughs> But the one that I can think of, Aegon the Fourth, legitimized mm-hmm. all of his royal bastards on his deathbed, and it did not go well. The resulting mm-hmm. Blackfyre Rebellion is the second most uh, destructive thing to Targaryen rule, save the Dance of the Dragons we're about to partake in. So, wow, uh, he got the moniker the Unworthy for all that uh, Aegon the Fourth did. What? So like. I think that we we've already answered a question within the email that like he didn't try to put any of his bastards because like Westeros does not give a fuck about high lords and ladies stepping out on each other. It's kind of considered a thing you can do, you know, Mm. Um, but what they do not like, you know, because, you know, uh, Ned Stark's got what everyone thinks is a bastard in his own fucking house at Mm -hmm. his court. Right. So it's not a secret. Um, but what would ruffle a lot of feathers is Ned legitimizing Jon Snow and putting him in line for Winterfell. Because, yeah, again, yeah. Westeros just hates bastards. Mm-hmm. It's not about like, oh, well, they're is bastards. So they still got the vote. It's just they're bastards. They are inherently abominations, sinful. Uh, and hearts filled with deceit. That's bullshit. I, I mean, it's like obviously, yeah. <laughs> obviously, yeah. We quite like a lot of the bastards on Game of Thrones, right? L- like mm-hmm. Gendry, like Jon Snow, who's sure. actually secretly not a bastard. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I uh, I, I don't think this solves the problem because again, and and if the king proclaiming him as his true heirs is interesting because if if I'm reading between the lines, you're saying that that's effectively legitimizing these bastards. But I guess the wrinkle there is Rhaenyra is not being honest. She's saying, no, 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 these aren't bastards. These are my true born sons. Mm-hmm. And Viserys is like, are you deaf? Can you not hear my daughter? This, These are my true born. He's not saying like, oh, yeah, Rhaenyra told me they're bastards, but I'm overlooking yeah. that. They're my true born grandsires and heirs. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So if the information came out, I mean, it's it's already out there. People already know, obviously. But if if it were ever to be like proven somehow that these right. are
2: bastards, then the issue would come up anew, right? I I would think, you would think. But like, you know, now that I'm I'm trying to think, like, what kind of evidence that you could, you know, like like what, what kind of proof you could put forth that would, would prove yeah the point at this point, I can't
1: imagine anything.
2: But yeah, the the whole idea is like, there's so many Westeros, like any place has a lot of rules and customs and superstitions and you can't just look at one set you know in isolation because you know if you go by just the laws you're going to miss things if you go by just the traditions you're going to miss things if you go by the fact that the king can do whatever he wants because he's the king or she's the queen you're going to miss a lot because there is a lot of restrictions on what they can do both by law and also just in practice you know, the king could order every lord to slit their firstborn's throats, but what would happen is de- damn near the whole realm would reunite their banners against him and and and, and overthrow him. So,
1: and the people are a concern. You know, <laughs> they don't often get mentioned. It's more about the lords and and what they think. But the the peasantry, uh, look at what Misaria says. Right? We sure in this episode something to Otto about like the people make you king or people like yeah. You have to get our permission essentially to do the things yeah. you want to do,
2: um, and most yeah. of the time the people don't really care because uh, yeah. it doesn't affect them directly. But I mean, there's several hundred thousand people to live in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. If they are starving, guess what? There's yeah. not enough gold cloaks. Probably not even enough dragons in the kingdom to keep. I mean, they might not prevail, but King's Landing might be pulled down brick by brick, set to blaze. Like
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, if you're if you're dying, your whole family's dying. You, you got nothing to lose. So that's the thing. There's two safety valves. The king can do whatever they want, sure, but they can't piss off all the important lords because that's who actually has the military might of the Seven Kingdoms. The king has very few forces that he can directly command. He calls banners. Mm-hmm. And if those banners don't answer or rise up against him. He's fucked. Second is the the small folk. They're always outnumber the, the important people and, and they don't usually care about the great games like, you know, they just want to be well fed and have some entertainment and mm-hmm. live out their lives. But if that stops happening, they don't get their three squares. they don't have a roof over their head. Uh, there's disease running rampant because of some you know mismanagement or bullshit. They have a way of being letting their themselves be be heard as well. There's still lots of hot D to talk about. We'll be back right after the break. Here's what's new in premium content for our
1: club members. On the latest episode of Off the Clock, we're catching up on Constellation. Aaron hey, has some Avatar The Last Airbender to talk about. And perhaps I'll give a belated review of Monarch Legacy of Monsters. You can find that in your premium feeds this Wednesday.
2: And don't you forget about lunch. Because our weekly Q&A session starts at 1pm this Friday on Patreon. But if you can't catch the show live, you can listen to the podcast later that evening. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over
1: to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content, plus ad free feeds.
2: And now back to Hot D. Um, let's move on to Jimmy. He says, I'm a bit behind. I just finished episode five where Damon kills his wife, Lady Royce. This and the ongoing controversy between Rhaenyra and the king regarding her marriage got me wondering, how did Damon end up with Lady Royce to begin with? He's a Targaryen prince and was presumably heir to the throne at the time of their clearly arranged marriage. Shouldn't his station have commanded more than a marriage to a lesser house? House Royce is in the Vale of Arn, and I'm assuming a subject of House Arn. Was there a major political gain in the marriage? so this is all stuff from the fire and blood books, but at the time of him being married, Damon was third in line for the throne, Hmm. uh, behind his father and his older brother, Viserys. And that's before anyone starts having children. Yeah. yeah. So there would have to be catastrophic things to go wrong before he would be, you know, kind of like in the hot seat. Uh, and some of those catastrophic things did go wrong, Mm -hmm. but like the, when, um, but, but but at the time of him being married, he was like, you know, not even a second son. He's like a third, you know, uh, banana type of deal. Everyone's going to presume that uh, Viserys is going to have kids and all that stuff. Um, also, Lady Rhea. The Royces are like the second most powerful house of the Vale, and the Vale is extremely powerful. At the time of Fire and Blood, they say they have a riv- an army to rival the North, who's, I guess, got the largest, hmm. most most well-equipped army a- at the time. Um, wow. so that you've already got house, you've already got the veil kind of like in bed with tar- tar- Targaryens because Ama, uh, Viserys's queen, was from the veil. So, this is in- strengthening this important military tie. Uh, it got Damon way the hell away from King's Landing, which was another <laughs> objective. <laughs> and mm-hmm. also, this was a match architected by Damon's grandmother, Alisane. Um, you Know Jaharis's queen, she of the Valerian Steel womb, and in general, what Queen Alisane wants, she gets, you know, uh, <laughs> until, until uh, Jaharis pisses her off and she goes away for a couple of years. But anyway, uh, hope that answers the question, Patty. Uh, with a link to a Hollywood reporter interview with uh, director of episode eight, Greta Patel where she confirms Allison gave Diana a moon tea rather than poison. So the interviewer says at the start of the episode, there's a scene with Diana who is then noted as missing. Is she just recovering or transferred to another part of the red keep? Are we supposed to assume something happened to her where she didn't return? The director says, I think we're all waiting for an answer on that. I know Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapachnik were talking about Allison paying her off and that she would disappear. The interviewer comes back and says, but the tea was really just to prevent pregnancy. And Allison was being sincere. She didn't secretly like have her killed or something. And the director says, oh, the tea was definitely to prevent pregnancy. The same tea that young Rhaenyra got. But after that, I'm curious where we go with that character. Does she ever Hmm. come up again? I read this interview. I think that's delightfully vague. I thought so too. Like, in fact, I was about to be like, why are you sending me this bullshit until we get to the final scene where she says, oh, the tea? Because when she says, oh, the tea's definitely to prevent pregnancy, death prevents pregnancy. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, so I heard. It, it terminates that that whole deal. Um, but it just in general. So, like, this is like, um, this is something that's peculiar to, I think, Bald Move. And, and maybe it's because um, we've done this for so long. But I have been burnt so many times by breathlessly reporting something an actor or director or a showrunner says, and then mm-hmm. it turns out to be bullshit. So while the director or why the title of director is a powerful one, his majesty, King Jim Harris, does not grant her the power to override his eyes and ears. And I think mm-hmm. it's left deliberately ambiguous so i don't understand why the director would come and clear up that ambiguity that they carefully constructed but like i said if you want to be team green and be like allison would never do something like that i that's fine that's fine the canon we i think weekly support you. um and if you want to be on team black and be like yeah fuck allison she had a hand an innocent handmaid killed i think that that's that's my bias so yeah i, I i'd roll with that
1: it's definitely not my reason for being on team black, but I feel like it's a it's a Schrodinger's Diana here. Like, we'll know when we know or we won't. Right. We'll we'll either yeah. never open that box and and find out or. We'll eventually see Diana again and then we'll know it was just moon tea.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, it's not but right it's, now. I'm thinking it's moon tea for two is what I'm it's calling super poison. in <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah.
2: not it's it's not super like I said it's not super important to the show or whatnot but uh, uh, this was yeah this is one of the more frequent emails I got this week so I want to make sure I got it up uh, up top. right Tom says, after the quote-unquote dinner party where Rhaenyra says to Alicent she's going back to Dragonstone and Alicent says something to the effect of, so soon you just got here and Rhaenyra replies, let me get my children home and I'll, I'll return on Dragonback. I can't help but think that comment of returning on Dragonback was an unknown at the time portent of things to come. Do you think this is tipped in the hand? Really? About what Team Black will do on, C- yeah, like, yo, yo I'm oh, coming back on could, Dragonback. It could be cute foreshadowing given yeah right. the events that
1: transpire after. I, I can see that. The writer is throwing that in, knowing, yeah. The next time we see Renira, she's not going to be happy, and she will be on her dragon.
2: All right. Of course, I find it all mildly interesting. Uh, moving on to Lily, it says, "Hey, I just finished to, the in- or I just listened to the instant take rather, where you guys were debating the meaning behind Renis. Almost pronounced it wrong, Renice. Rainus busting through <laughs> the boards on her beast. I'd also love to debate her intent, but that." was basically ruined for me when Ryan Condal remarked that they basically just needed a big scene for a penultimate episode in the after-show commentary. I was very much taken aback by that statement. Are they just doing stuff to do it because it looks cool without thinking about what it all means? Was it meaningless? Why not kill, or why kill innocent bystanders who were cheering for Aegon if she supports the Greens, but why not Dracaris them right then and there if she supports the Blacks? Honestly, I'm getting triggered from my Season 8 Game of Thrones PTSD PTSD, yeah.
0: yeah. What do you think there's,
2: about that? This is a lot of,
1: it's a lot of controversy around the scene right now. From what I've seen mm-hmm. uh, on the internet, the the, I think the, what is she the the one of the writers Sarah Hess is getting a lot of shit for her comments uh, right now, and I think. <laughs> What Not undeservedly so. She she said essentially what uh, Condal said there in that interview that like yeah we needed something cool we wanted something exciting to happen um and so we threw in that dragon scene I I don't know if that if that's really the reason you did it just because we wanted something big and cool to happen it, you've got to you got to think through the the ramifications of throwing something big and cool in there and i'm i'm certainly not of the opinion that it was like great i don't agree with like the reasoning behind like how would rainus act here uh but i've i've seen several justifications for it and one of those comes from ryan condal i th- i think it was ryan condal or it might have been hess who said uh in that post interview uh post episode interview that like she couldn't kill a mother uh, mm. in that moment who was yeah. protecting her son, and I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. It's
2: it's if of all the mothers, this might be the mother you need to kill. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a couple defenses of uh, Rayna's decision here uh, with her dragon, uh, but before sure. that, I, I also wanted to just point out that like it's not inherently bad for showrunners to try to find like cliffhangers and triumphant notes to end episodes on. Uh Like that's called just good pacing. Um, So like, I don't like if if just those words alone do not Mm -hmm. raise my alarm bells. Um, So I I think that's, that's something that showrunners should be honestly working towards, you know, making the shows more exciting, more approachable, uh, more evenly paced. But I, I did have a problem with because it does seem like this solves all all of the the realm's problems. Now, let's let's consider some defenses of this to see if we feel differently. All right. First up is Dan from Connecticut. Well,
0: hold
1: on. I, I want to say one other thing, too. Um, sure. As a podcaster, this is very much something that I feel strongly. Um, a lot of the times I don't want to dig too too deep and too minutely into what people say in interviews because interviews are on the spot sort of things. And when you are trying to speak off the cuff about something and then the internet gets a chance to dissect every single syllable of everything you said and piece together different interviews when you were in different state of minds, um, when you had different perspectives on things, that can be a dangerous combination for anybody's words. And I think you have to kind of give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt here. And people are not inclined to do that because they're upset about a decision they made or or whatever but i i think like when someone is speaking off the cuff it's it's really brutal to take that and dissect it piece by piece later after the fact
2: especially so when you're talking I, I about directors who might not have the full script for every season that they're going off of who probably directed this 18 to 12 months ago that too, you know? yeah. And I mean, like, dude, these oh, are writers sure. I directed seven shows since then. What? Yeah, yeah. If you if writers and showrunners are a little bit because they should have a good handle of the the total you story. But directors, so. uh-huh. well directors make statements about like stuff, like I that I I very much discount that unless they're like a Sapochnik who also is an executive producer kind of showrunner too. Yeah. Oh, okay, now the defenses. Sorry. Dan in Connecticut says, I thought placing the Red Queen, Melis and the queen that never was, Rhaenys in a position to decapitate the Green Regime was the first significant deviation from the book that was also a narrative misstep. In other words, an entirely unforced error. It didn't ruin the episode for me, but I was definitely having trouble understanding the purpose of the scene. But this morning, I remembered the canonical aversion to slaying depicted in both the written and TV Game of Thrones works. Perhaps the decision will create some tension and inquisition between Rhaenys and Rhaenyra. Regardless, I think the show is right to step lightly instead of lampshading Raynis's motives. In Martin's world, no man is as cursed as the Kingslayer. We'll see. That's why she, where she pulls off her awesome armor, revealing what's no doubt a glorious set of teats, and says, "I am no man." Uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Unless I'm mistaken, Dracaris doesn't solve the dispute because I didn't notice Aegon's heirs on the dais, but neutralizing three green dragon riders are probably end in the immediate threat to Rhaenyra's ascent on the Iron Throne. So, yes, if we're correctly interpreting this show, you always have to keep in mind what people sincerely believe. You know, I don't believe in the curse of kin slaying. although there's not any of my kin that I immediately want to kill. Um, <laughs> but it is a real thing. This is one of, like, this guest right bastard. We're talking about the highest taboos of the realm. And it's not that they're never broken. Mm-hmm. You know, Walter Frey did all, essentially, those things. Probably even fathered bastards. But um, they don't get broken lightly. Do you think here is essentially all of her family saved the high towers who are not related to her by blood, but you know, all of these kids are, Mm -hmm. do you think that would give her pause?
1: I suppose. Yeah. I'm torn on this. Like I, I'm weighing, like I'm trying to step out of the the context that I have for this thing. Um, and step into Rainis's context because (laughs) surely she knows like, there is going to be strife going forward, right? I'm not sure if she can understand in this moment that this might be the beginning of the fall of the Targaryen dynasty. Like, that's the thing. I I know where this eventually leads because I've seen Game of Thrones. And I'm saying, yes, you absolutely should have done this. This is the moral decision, right? This is going back and killing baby Hitler. With the benefit of hindsight, yes. Exactly. But do you kill baby Hitler if you're standing... In front of a goo goo gaga baby At in hotspot, I don't Munich. know, 1887. Yeah. I have no idea how old he was, but like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh huh. Can you, I, and, and weighing that against kinslaying, um, weighing that against killing, you know, a mother or trying to protect her child, like, right. all of that is in there. So I'm trying not to get like too crazy about, oh, she should have just blasted him just dracarys
2: come on it's the obvious move it's not that obvious it's not yeah yeah especially in the moment um josh kind of like you you served him up a bit of dry pie but you know he says this would not quote unquote end the war because from rainus perspective there is no war as viewers we know about the show uh is all about the dance of dragons and a civil war coming but why should she a wise older woman who has been through a lot, she can see this agon farce and assume the Greens will be brought to heel when the Black army assembles with the most money, the biggest fleets, and the most dragons with enough loyal lords to negotiate a peaceful surrender from the high towers. In this episode, Allison has the same view of being able to negotiate a peace without bloodshed, so I imagine Rhaenus would do the same. So far, there's not been any major battles or deaths, so there's not enough bad blood between the families to justify burning all the Greens alive like that. I feel like these two have definitely cooled my heat towards, oh, she should have just Dracarysed the shit out of him. Um, yeah, I agree. I do think they they do an
1: interesting thing in that episode, which is they show Rhaenys seeing Lord Caswell hanged. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to me, should give her a clue that this is bigger than just like, oh, they'll sort it out, you know? Yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. The lords are being hanged, which implies that like lords have been, have had a question put to them about their loyalty. Right, and that implies something bigger coming, but, but only a a little bit. It's not. It's not like, (laughs) I don't know. Like I said, she doesn't have foresight in this situation, so I don't blame her too much.
2: Dave T says, "Which is more powerful right now in the Hot D verse: the hand of the king or the foot of the queen?" Blech. I got I got so many variations of this Sent to me this week And across all social platforms Medias, meme, image formats Everything So I have to acknowledge it And then I, Everyone take a little bite of ginger For a palate cleanser And let's move on to Frank T uh, Eric slash Arik Says this to Aegon When they find him in his uh, sept Based on this I'm pretty sure Otto wanted to find Aegon first Oh, sorry Um I, I, I copied out the subject line, which is uh, uh, Otto saying that he wants to meet him outside of King's Landing, outside the walls. Mm, yeah. Uh, they say this to Aegon when they find him in the Sept. Based on this, I'm pretty sure Otto wanted to find Aegon first because he knew Aegon was the wrong horse to bet on as the king moving forward. My guess oh. is Otto was going to fa- take Aegon outside the city and tell him he could leave as he wanted to in favor of <laughs> Aemond as the new king. To me, this better explains the different groups racing to grab Aegon as Alicent really believes what she thinks she heard from Viserys uh, that Aegon as king is necessary. Do you wow. think Otto was trying to do a switcheroo or perhaps uh, other people had the more strong version of this, which is Otto was just going to slit him. his throat? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's, <laughs> that's immediately what I assumed. Uh, maybe I'm not giving Otto enough credit, but that's an interesting idea that I hadn't considered. And it kind of makes a lot of sense. I'm sure he's noticed Aegon's mm. behavior,
2: right? Mhm. Oh yeah. So and he's got to be seeing that Aemond is the true steel. Yeah. I, I think it's I, interesting.
1: Yeah, that could be true.
2: I think it it works on the face of it Otto just wants to get um because a lot of people were saying that uh, cuz in the book as I mentioned on the main podcast, this Council of the Greens takes place over the course of days while the king is rotting Mm -hmm. in his chambers. You know, they're trying to get, solidify their power. And some people posited that like auto... that auto trying to get the Aegon first represents more of a book version of the events where auto is like, you know what? Let's clam up, let's grab everybody. I want to eliminate all the blacks before they even know what's happening, and then we put the king on the throne. Mm-hmm. Where Allison was the opposite let's put the king on the throne immediately, let's get him on the iron throne, let's get him the black fire blade, let's get him the Aegon's crown, let's put him in King's Landing, declare him king, and then it'll be. You know it, it, it just be it'd be a victory by fiat and there's nothing the blacks can do about it mm-hmm. so i like that theory that it's not so much he wanted to kill Aegon, but he wanted to keep all this under wraps until they a hundred percent had a stranglehold on the power
1: yeah that makes sense also
2: uh dana asked why are the gold cloaks trying to close the door to the dragon pit where Raynus and may uh Malus had maylies had come up through the boards <laughs> they distinctly <laughs> called attention to with Otto screaming, open the doors. Is this evidence that the gold cloaks are loyal to Damon or did they just want to keep the dragon from escaping?
1: It's a good question. We didn't ever see them deal with the two loyal Damon loyalists, right? Yeah. In The, the gold cloaks. Not that I think that's what's happening here necessarily, but I was a little confused no. by that too. I don't have a great explanation for open the doors because the people are trying to rush out. They're trying to close them. Otto wants them yeah. open.
2: Yeah, why I, why I, does he want him open? Also? I, to me, the look on his face is like, holy shit, do not, you know, don't corner this woman on her dragon. Like, make sure the doors are open so that she can peacefully go if she wants to. Well, Whereas, that's that's saying the woman who just busted through the
1: floor on her dragon is going to be cornered by shutting a door.
2: That's eh, a little silly. More cornered than not. Um, I, so fair, I think uh, auto number one auto number one does not want to see potentially tens of thousands of people die mm. uh, hmm. the the gold cloaks I think are probably reacting to the fact that there's a loose dragon and like holy shit close the doors to yeah. make sure the dragon doesn't get out and auto is like no fuck <laughs> that also open, silly. open the doors you know uh-huh. I, it is weird because I, I meant to comment on that but I didn't because Yeah, it's it's strange. It's strange. Surely he didn't think he was going to get out those doors,
1: right? He's not going to run off the dais and no. That's
2: why I think he's just trying to think of anything that because like they have nothing. They have no answer. There is no. They have no dragon. That's that's what it would take. You would have to have a bigger dragon. Mm -hmm. And and even then, good god, do you want to be caught in the middle of like (laughs) Vagar battling melee's in the middle of the dragon pit while you're sitting right there? Nope. Like they're they're fucked. So he's just thinking like, well. I don't know. Maybe we open the doors. She'll just leave. It's. Yeah. It's, it's weak, like when a fly gets,
1: gets in your car, right? Or a wasp gets in your car. Yeah. You roll down the, like, the, windows. the window. Oh, Jesus. The window. Yeah.
2: <laughs> You're not locked in here with me. I'm not locked in here with you. <laughs> just just peacefully go, man. Uh-huh. Uh, Susan W. says there's no way that dragon cleanly fits to those doors of the. Well, she says the sept, but she's she's talking about the dragon pit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So canonically. These bronze doors are supposed to be big enough for thirty fully mounted uh, armed knights on horseback to fit through riding abreast. Whoa! And they kind of appear that big. And also canonically, these dragon these these doors are big enough to house both Balerion and Vagar. So okay. it might be, and you know, we kind of we kind of uh, joked about this with with the, the Rings of Power because there's a couple of scenes where they're going in and out of this island of Numenor. And I swear to God, there's a bridge that none of these ships should fit under or through.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, they dismantled the bridge and
2: moved it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They did. They did the Jeff Bezos special. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, like I said, I, I think that the showrunners thought that they made doors big enough for the dragon to fit through. Canonically, they are, and maybe it's a trick of perspective or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to them.
1: I like in that moment when the the dragon flies through the doors. They don't they don't do it like the dragon is just kind of gliding. Because how uh-huh. could it glide when it pulls its wings right. in? Uh, yeah. It kind of like takes in a, a dip arc. down toward the ground when it does that and then has to regain its altitude. Re- it's, yep. I, I really like the effect there. It yeah, well it done. couldn't
2: fly through, but it can kind uh-huh. of, like I said, it, it kind of jumped. It went from the floor because there's like those steps up and kind of just went through a parabolic arc, tucked its yep. wings and legs. And you can imagine like something like Balerian, you know, kind of like, you know, making it maybe tucking his wings and kind of like ducking under it or something like that. Uh,
1: huh.
2: um, Kinsey, uh, has another question about the dragon pit at the end of episode nine. Everyone meets on the inside of the dragon pit where dragons are supposedly kept, uh, in the keep underneath it. How the hell did melees break through the floor? Isn't this place supposed to house the dragons and keep them locked away? Wouldn't this place be built to be more, a bit more dragon proof. What are your thoughts on this?
1: I'm, I'm curious what the purpose of the dragon pits is. Is it to is it a dungeon for dragons? Cuz not my that wasn't my feeling on it. My feeling was more like it's a hotel for dragons or a What is this? Some kind <laughs> of dungeon for dragons? It's like a dragon hostel. Like they're all hanging out down there just sleeping in a, a dragon den, really.
2: Am I wrong about yeah. that? Yeah. No, I, you're so I feel like it's more I, voluntary. I, Co- coincidentally, I did a little bit more uh, reading on the dragon pit myself because I was kind of interested in some of these details. And apparently, I think it was Magor was kind of freaked out that uh, Balerion was kind of allowed some of the the larger dragons just kind of like when they weren't right, when they were writerless, were just allowed to do whatever the fuck they wanted. Sometimes they roosted a dragonstone. Sometimes they fucked off to Essos for a bit. And he's hmm. like, he was persuaded to like, you know, maybe we should have a little bit more security around these things. So they designed the the dragon pit to very closely um, approximate the natural habitat of the dragon on dragonstones. Like they mentioned that they have these like concentric hmm. rings of tunnels that go far underneath the hill, um, which funny enough is called Rainus's Hill. The three hills that, of, of King's Landing all are named after Aegon, Visenya and Rainus. Um, and, (laughs) uh, the dragon pit happens to be on Rainus's hill, but, but these, these, this is like this kind of warren of catacombs going into the hillside and they're all like approximating the structure of where the dragons roost on Dragonstone, only larger to presumably be more comfortable for the dragons. Uh, but then they also have like, you know, the double doors so they can't, you know, there's like a, you know, the, each, each, each roost has like two doors you can open like, you know, be kind of like a dragon airlock, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah it was it was it was it was designed to keep you know cuz uh to to move the dragons from essentially dragonstone as their primary roost to the seat of the power of the Targaryens to provide security for them cuz that's at that point is when they I think they got 77 knights and they made them into the dragon keepers um i think they're supposed to be the guys we see in robes in the books they wear this like cool black armor and they're mm-hmm. like the honor guard for the dragons um, and they started taking more like, you know, uh, the, the care and keeping of the dragons a little bit more seriously. So uh, now that's the thing. So dragons normally don't want to destroy their home. Like, I'm sure dragons <laughs> could bust through the cliff walls of of uh, Dragonstone anytime they wanted to. If they were aroused through wrath or through, you know, their dra- their riders spurring them on. I just don't know what you could what could what human structure could conceivably keep a dragon against its will yeah you know it's more of like the dragons kind of want to be in the dragon pit because that's where they're fed and it's comfortable for them but if they were like starved or something they would probably bust out or if they were enraged they'd probably bust out um, so I, didn't, I guess I didn't have a problem do you have a problem with Rainus surviving the process of, of uh, melee's Kool-Aid manning through the, the floor of the dragon pit
1: yeah every time I think about it I'm like well okay maybe the dragon came up like Wings covering her and like oh, sure. protected her intentionally. because it's yeah, it's the only way that that happens.
2: Without, it used or use its tail, like it use its tail to like batter the, the hole and then crawled through it. That's another way you don't have. Because like I think a lot of people just be like the literally Kool Aid bands, like back, yeah, f- like right saddle up. first, uh-huh. bust through the stone wall and you know <laughs> like I, I get your You're wearing some armor, but is a uh-huh. dragon pit cave in proof? I don't know. Let's move on to Allison, who says, could Renee, or sorry, could Rainus have suggested to Allison that she should rule simply to destabilize the High Towers? This whisper into her ear, have you ever thought about sitting on the Iron Throne? It creates a head game, putting a wedge that can only grow in Allison's mind towards all the men she's surrounded by, which is several, including the new king and Otto, and maybe weakens her laser focus on her sons rise to power. It's brilliant, if so, because she does so while maintaining neutrality and perhaps even forging a bond with the queen. In an episode where Allison recognizes the manipulation of her father, how much credit do we give to Raynus? It's
1: a good question. I'm, I'm. I like this take, yeah. Not 100% certain about Reynas's motivations here. Um, it, there, there was a time when she professed to not want power. Uh, she's gotten over it, right? She's no longer the, the potential queen. Uh, She got passed over for that. She was bitter for a while, but now she's fine with it and don't, don't rock the boat. And then Corliss went off on his six year voyage. Right. And she sat on the throne at high, high tide or drift mark, Uh wherever. And then that seemed to change. She seemed, she wanted to advocate for herself to continuously rule there. Um, She's now telling Allison, hey, you have you ever thought about being on the throne yourself? Um, she's she's always had that view that 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 anger against like, hey, why can't women rule? Um, but she seemed a lot more resigned to it at the beginning of this series and something changed. And I really think it's getting the taste, getting getting the feel for it when Corliss left Driftmark.
2: It could be. It also could be that, like, when she was telling Corliss, like, would you stop this? Like, it was almost always in context of you're putting our kids in danger. Like, once the last child died, I wonder. And as you say, she got to sit on, you know, she got the the lead drift mark for some period of time. I wonder if because I so there's two ways to look at it. Number one, she's got the taste for power um she saw the way Viserys stood up for the family the way Rainier is ready to fight for the family and she's got like that Targaryen stirrings within her and, like fuck yeah this is this is <laughs> this is fucking fire and blood baby I love it um but also like she just doesn't want to be fucked with and the best way to ensure she doesn't get fucked with is to own her to rule her own house you know because then the only one that can fuck with her is the sure. king or queen, yeah, yeah. But everybody else, there's no, there's no way, no way. She got the most powerful navy. She got a couple dragons she can command. She's essentially, she's essentially a, a power unto herself, and I think that's very attractive for someone like rainus uh, who feels like she's been jerked around, like her entire life. Yeah, and I go
1: into all that to say I'm not totally certain of her motivations in this scene. Um, she she seems like somebody who believes what she's saying to Allison that like. You know, women should have a right to rule just as much as men. Uh, And so I don't think that this is her just trying to like split the party here. Um, But maybe maybe there's a tinge of that in there, too. She knows that, like, I I can both be true to myself and potentially disrupt the people who are very swiftly becoming my enemies.
2: Yeah, no, I I I agree. I don't know if it's intentional, but like it does seem like it got the wheel spinning in Allison's head. Uh Donna says, I heard in another podcast a simple way to distinguish between the two twins. She credits Josh Wiggler and Friends uh, in their podcast. It says Jim will like this one. Eric mm-hmm. with an A is the A hole who stays leal to Aegon the asshole, while Eric is the one who helps Princess Raynus escape.
0: Mm, a no, for the first
2: part is better than the, the second a half for that, the asshole egg on e for helping the princess escape all right there so we go see if we can remember these you know what's devices. easier
1: black Knight, green Knight. <laughs>
2: <laughs> much easier
1: but that doesn't help you with the name
2: oh that's right you just don't care what <laughs> yeah i just don't are. give a gotcha. shit what their names are yeah well with identical twins mm-hmm, i don't know we'll see yeah kind i could of, lose kind of a hot hard dog to tell eating what competition to him all right the beast beneath the boards truthers want to be heard the truth, the the wake up sheeple uh you think that the beast was melees and the boards were those stone floor of the dragon pit fuck out of here brian from rockland new york says the beast beneath the boards is not a rampaging dragon that does not kill anyone of importance you hear that small folk i think it has to do with the rats and the beast uh is going to be the plague something like the black death that would really fuck up king's landing Consider that the small folk herded in for the coronation, did not give a shit about Aegon, but once he flashed his sweet, sweet sword, they exploded in applause. The small folk are not quick to riot. They'd see $4 gas and 10% inflation as just part of life. But they start dying off from disease. The royals are going to have a real problem. We think the beast might be... There's been a lot of emphasis on rats, you know, rats uh, known as a carrier of plague and contagion. Uh, What do you think about this uh, plague-based beast theory? Uh, I mean, it's possible. I haven't seen any hint of it yet,
1: which is strange given what Viserys has been through. It, it strikes me as weird that Viserys was in such close proximity to everyone. It, it, I mean, his disease must not be contagious, just period. Yeah, it must not be. Yeah. Must not be. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that's foreshadowing for something that's going to rot the people as well. Could since, be. Since he was Viserys the Peaceful.
2: I don't know. Uh, Ryan W says, "Could the beast beneath the boards mean Aegon? After all, he was discovered underneath a table in the Sept.
1: It was discovered underneath a table in the Sept. Oh, that's a table. I thought that
2: was like an altar. It it looks stone, but if I again, Midstone. if we're calling if we're calling the floor yeah, yeah. Of the dragon pit boards, then fuck it.
1: <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah. I mean, beast beast beneath the boards. He's certainly more of a beast than I realized before last episode."
2: What about this one? Daniel J says, I posted this on Reddit to see if anyone else had picked up on it. And I seem to be the only one. Could the beast beneath the boards be Agon's little bastard kid? We meet him this week and he's conspicuously introduced <laughs> to us hiding beneath literal <laughs> floorboards. He included a picture of this poor kid with like, you know, the vertical lines of these yeah. joists uh, the over him.
1: Coming through the rays. Yeah. What do you I, think? Uh, I Yeah. So if there's another time jump, I'm going to be looking for people with sharpened
2: teeth. Just saying, you look like you came from flea bottom, Lord Beast. (laughs) No, why would you say that? These are congenitally (laughs) pointy teeth. I have, I have a condition. Okay. Uh huh. Uh, mildly interesting. Like I said, I, I, I'm still like I don't have any reason to think this. It's just that the show keeps like you know whenever Helena is saying, oh my god, the beast, the beast, and then immediately Eamon walks in and the camera pan. I just, I, I take a lot of stock in that. So yeah, mildly interesting to be sure. Uh, but that's, I thought those are three solid competing beast theories. If you want to eliminate the red queen from contention, there's still lots of hot D left to talk about. We'll be right back after the break. And now back to hot D. All right. It's the part of the podcast where we convened the council of the blacks and the greens. The greens went first last week. So keeping it real We're going to start with the blacks this time. Brian says, I fundamentally disagree with the assessment that show is putting the thumb on the scales for the blacks over the greens. I have a few unspoilery notes on my reading of the source material and how I feel a number of changes are sympathetic to the greens. So this is interesting. This guy is saying like, put aside the show. Let's see what the books had to say about these things and how the show has chosen its art narrative to, to favor one side or the other. So like, Mm You got two layers of favoritism: uh, how you adapt the source material, and then you know whatever you add on on top of that. So, first of all, he says, "I came away from reading Fire and Blood definitely favoring and truly only understanding the perspective of Team Black, partially because Alicent in the book gives off major wicked stepmother vibes. There's a heightened con- concentration on her physical attractiveness, which for me recalls Snow White or Cinderella and the venial stepmothers of those stories." On the show, Alicent is, in her youth, shown to be modest, kind, and smart. With my reading, uh, they could have certainly given her a villainous sexpot feel that would have read true. Secondly, and textually, Viserys is a a pretty uninteresting character with shallow tendencies. He loves feasts and tournaments, essentially. My read of the overall relationship with Alicent was that she was a vapid but pretty accessory to this somewhat shallow dude. On story, the story on screen in Hot D showed Viserys and Alicent having intellectual connection and Alicent caring for him despite his being gross. Also, there are many mushroom rumors of sexual improprieties by Alicent, as well as Rhaenyra, that the show doesn't give even a whisper to, while all those about Rhaenyra are shown to be true to at least some degree. Interesting. Hmm. Thirdly... Maybe I'm a fool, but I didn't take from the text that the allegations of Rhaenyra's children being bastards was an absolute fact, but more speculation. It actually irritated me that Alicent and her children feel so certain about this based on hair color, mostly. Canonically, Rhaenys, the queen that never was, is a dark haired uh, descendant of Baratheon stock. And we know from the main books how strong the seed is with Baratheons. Her grandchildren turning out dark haired does not strain credulity at all. By making Rhaenys white-haired but coreless brown skin, they not only proved their bastardry, but also made Rhaenyra an invertebrate gaslighter. Fourthly, all the worst suspicions of Damon are confirmed on the show. In the book, I never thought he killed Rhea Royce, even though it's mentioned as an option. It seems like he's not there, and I didn't give it much thought. Damon also gets a poetic intro in the book as a peerless character in the history of the realm. Not only this story, we're basically outright told that he's a complicated guy with many charms. The show has the burden of having to show this with mixed results. Fifthly, it seems that everyone thinks that the laner change his escaping rather than dying heavily tips the scales. And I understand his perspective. After all, by current values, it does seem magnanimous or magnanimous to allow Laner to live his life and it relieves Rhaenyra of any blame. But this telling makes Rhaenyra intricate in the plan to remarry without her husband being dead, which I think is very shady. Sixth, Lastly, the fight with the kids gave me much more empathy for Aemon, though I still think he's being an a-hole. In the text, it's the littlest child, Joffrey, that's mildly attacked by Aemon and the girls weren't even there. On the show, the girls are there and it's a four-on-one dog pile that he fights his way out of. Yes, Alicent lifting the dagger and attacking was an addition in the favor of Team Black, but for me, it was kind of a wash. Then we get to this episode and just wow. They went with the mushroom child fighting thing, added some foot fetish stuff to boot, which just really makes the greens look terrible. But at the same time, instead of calling Rhaenyra a whore as she does in the book, Alicent seems to genuinely mourn Viserys and is worried for Rhaenyra and her plain featured children. Maybe they're trying to put the thumb on the scales, but I genuinely feel like the show has muddied things by wanting the audience to like Alicent, but hate her side in general. This follows the Tyrion Lannister mode of storytelling, because truthfully, Game of Thrones really softened Tyrion's hard edges, and it's nothing like the rehab Alicent's getting here. I thought this was interesting, that from his perspective we're already one layer of removed of thumbs towards the green because by fleshing out and humanizing the greens that is not done in the novel, they're inherently more sympathetic. Mm. Does that that, help the vast majority, the 99% of the fans that have not read the books and are just watching the show though? That's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, you might get this extra layer of, well,
1: they're doing things to moderate the, the green, the greens here. Um, And that might well be true. I don't feel that as somebody who has not read the book. So, And and there are a lot of me's out there. Um, I will say, I I think you're dead on when you talk about, like, Alicent being kind of the exception within Team Green. I am feeling a lot of sympathy for Alicent, even though she's she's complicit in all the same schemes. She's just far more humane about everything. She's far more loving and kind about the way that this is all going to go down and she's doing it for reasons that that are more noble than the reasons Otto Hightower is doing this right like she's doing it because she thinks her children are in danger he's doing it because he wants more power so th- that's the thing there they are definitely doing things in the show that without that book knowledge I feel are waiting it toward the blacks um, mm-hmm. being the the More Leal side here. Um, But I am giving Allison a bit of a pass based on the last couple of episodes and and knowing that she feels very threatened right now.
2: Yeah, I, I think the comparison with Alicent as Tyrion of the group is very apt because we all hate the the Lannisters. Maybe we take a shine to Jamie later on, but initially yeah, yeah. we all fucking hate the Lannisters. But oh, we all yeah. Tyrion was really cool because he's uh-huh. very sympathetic. He's in a bad spot with his in, even within his own family, but he's trying to be loyal to it. He's a very complicated guy. Mm-hmm. I think Al- Alicent that's a good an- analogy. Alicent is the Tyrion of the High Towers. Yeah, that you don't agree with her support of the family and maybe everything she does, but you kind of understand how and why she got there
1: yeah she just needs to be uh a little more charming and a little funnier and you have a direct comparison
2: gurus up next and says i think it's obvious that the show wants us to root for anira and her band of problematic faves because that's just storytelling one way they can make us root for team black and vilify team green is how they play on the practice versus preach dynamic we see Team Green is playing it oh so righteous, but are doing a lot of shitty things. That's something that will annoy a viewer because it breaks with what they're preaching and the image that they're constructing. It does seem the viewers don't like hypocrisy.
1: Yeah, no one does, I don't think.
2: Team Black doesn't pretend to be fully good or fully right. The viewer therefore gets a higher tolerance for their level of mischief. I think this is why Amon is setting out to be the new problematic fave on Green's the green side. He's shit, he knows it, and he embraces it. Yeah. Yeah, I like Amon. Uh, he's my new problematic fave. Secondly, is is he shit? Let let me ask you this: Is he shit? Because
1: he's a kid who's been thrust into this situation, has no say in the matter whatsoever. I I haven't seen him do anything that's too awful, at this point. Like yeah. He, 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 here's the thing: he made he made a really stupid, boneheaded move when he was a, a young kid, uh, oh. in that he was going to try and kill his cousin. Uh, that that's probably or nephew i fuck yeah it's so confusing nephews nephews. uh he was gonna try and kill his nephew that's that's a bad mistake kid um older Aegon or older amond i haven't seen him do anything yet that i'm really like you you should know better um he let he let luke get the best of him with the pink dread thing and you know he made a a toast in poor taste but i haven't really seen him being a super shit yet I think that will come at some point. Maybe not this the next episode, but in season two, probably I'll I'll stop rooting for Eamon. But so far, Eamon's a OK in my book.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's funny because like if if Luke and Jake had just not risen to his dog whistle, Mm -hmm. if he'd be like, well, thank you, uncle, for recognizing our physical strength. We really appreciate that. Like what? You know, what? the, the, the Damon either has to explicitly <laughs> right. call in the question and stop hiding behind this this elaborate clever or just the matter drops um, and he was
1: provoked i think he was he was fine just sitting at that provoked. table
2: with these people and not making a stir
1: not making a fuss but then they put this in front of him start laughing in his face yeah
2: yeah yeah come on and he's got the bit yeah yeah come on um, secondly, the whole team green argument on succession is just all over the place. First, they want to remove Renier as the heir because of gender, which is stupid, but fair considering the logic and rules of the fictional world. Then they don't want to acknowledge her as the heir because she's got illegitimate children, which you could argue is a fireable offense, but they don't make that argument. If the pure line is so important, the matter should have been changed or even solved when Rhaenyra and Damon got three blonde penis having children. You can figure out something for the strong boys. I heard Essos is cool. So what's the issue, Team Green? I okay, okay. Mm, let's, no, let's, let the me call time out on Team Black. What mm-hmm. are you going to do with the 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 children that Rhaenyra has previously claimed as trueborn and the king has affirmed as trueborn? What are you going to do? Just going to send them? Put them to the sword. <laughs> <laughs> Under what pretext? Right. Like you'd have you'd have to get Trixie. Like, oh, we're gonna send my three favorite children off to battle, and oh, fuck, they died, or they're all gonna cool. have a tragic dragon riding a- uh, accident, or no, I don't. The thing is, if Rhaenyra takes action against them directly and reveals that she's been lying, I just don't know how she mm-hmm. politically recovers from that. Well, she, it, I mean that. Well, doesn't that fuck up the whole thing? Like, if she, <laughs> what would she have to do? She'd be like. Yeah, Harwin know. Strong used to come into my my bedroom with brown face, wearing my husband's clothes, and I've always been nearsighted. Oh, it's how I'm Rhaenyra. I'm Rhaenyra sighted, and I just didn't mm. even know this whole time. It was a, it was a, it was, it was a folly perpetuated on me by the men. Uh, yeah, I've been no. bamboozled. I, yeah, no, <laughs> no, that's not gonna work. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think she could make make that argument. Um, but anyway, uh, the lack of uh the lack of penis on Rhaenyra, or the fact that the strong boys is the wrong half of Targaryen, you could argue that a targ egg plus womb is better than some targ sperm. Yeah, again, if you if you if you put away the crazy prejudice against uh, bastards, the crazy irrational uh, prejudice against bastards, then you would have a different outcome. But that's like you know if you set crazy and irrational prejudice against women and minorities in this country, our political landscape would look a lot differently, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, if the world were different, things would, would, would not happen the same. Yes, this is true. Um, this plays into the vilification of team green, where it's quite obvious that they just don't want a woman to be the head of state and that they've told Rhaenyra as a woman to, uh, or they hold Rhaenyra as a woman to higher standards than a male heir. Uh, we as viewers are watching with today's sensibilities, and we'll read the double standards as unfair and unreasonable. I I do think that that's the fatal mm-hmm. flaw of Team Green that they're just depicted as hypocrites. Yeah. Um. And the best you can say, well, I I this is really, really only applies to Allison too because I don't I I Auto is just just nakedly wielding power for its own sake, mm-hmm. but like um. Yeah, it's it's just really hard for your average viewer with, as you say, modern sensibilities to see this holy rolling Alicent, you know, foot modeling for Varys and perhaps, you know, doing some kind of weird sexual dynamic thing with Sir Kristen Cole and having potentially handmaids murdered, uh, going along with the, the death, the the execution or the assassination of a highborn family, uh, what whatever. You know, like it she's she's preaching this righteousness and purity and all this stuff. But, you know, she's she's compromising those ideals left, right and center. And it's just that's hard to get behind. Whereas Team Black, yeah, they do a bunch of shit, but they kind of own it, you know, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Nate says in today's pod, you discuss Otto Hightower and his role in creating the very situation he tells Allison about to get her to oppose Rhaenyra. I've had the thought from the beginning of the season that this would be a great classroom study in case of international relations theory. IR theory is categorized into three basic schools. You got your realist and your neo-realist, which think that all states, kingdoms, empires, democracies, dictatorships, whatever, are in constant competition with each other. And given the opportunity, each state would conquer or dominate its neighbors. Alliances and friendships between different nations is not a natural thing, but occurs when states don't feel that they could conquer or dominate their neighbors because they would fail or it'd be too costly or when they need to make common cause with other smaller States to balance the power of a large state and prevent being conquered. This is a stereotypical dog eat dog world. The ends justified the means resources must be secured and hoarded. The only way to prevent war is to be strong enough to win any war. Then you have your liberals, neoliberals, which note this is the international relations theory definition, not the classical economics definition or how it's used colloquially here in the United States abroad. Mm-hmm. So, Like the neorealists, they think the nations of the world are in competition with one another, but we can create political and social structures to mitigate that competition and create a stable world order. International law, the United Nations, mutually beneficial treaties, etc. are all ways to help remove tension and competition between states or make it too costly to act outside the bounds of international norms. Then you have constructivists. All political alignments, including the nation state, are just constructs created by humans. so There is no inherent reason that we have to be in competition. There's no reason we have to be divided up in us versus them, and thus no reason everything has to be a war for control. Resources can be allocated to help those in need without it creating a threat to others. No, we can't just wish the world's problems away, but we can solve them a lot more easily if we work together instead of competing. Now, these are obviously archetypes, and full disclosure, I fall mostly into the constructivist category. But here's the thing: It doesn't matter what I, the United States, the United Nations, or all seven kingdoms decide to adopt as its international relations philosophy. A neo state will or entity will reject both the constructivist and neoliberal order. All efforts to deal with a neo state will be perceived as either a threat, trickery, or weakness, because a neo-realist a priori assumption is that given the chance, your country will attack mine. It's paranoia, although to be fair, we would call constructivists unrealistic dreamers. Otto is a classic neorealist. In his mind, everything is a part of the competition over the throne. He assumes two givens. A, the misogynist lords of the realm won't support a female heir. And B, once Rhaenyra takes the throne, she'll have to eliminate Alicent's kids as alternatives to her line. Because if she doesn't, at some point the lords, who will not support the female heir, will just scheme to put Aegon or Amund or any other one in Old Town on the throne. It's kill or be killed, and he passes that on to Alicent, the idea that the only way to ensure the safety of her and her children is to kill Rhaenyra. Except, like most neorealists, he assumes that this is the case because he cannot see any other paradigm but competition between factions. Um. So I, there's, there's there's more to this, but he comes back to, through a constructivist lens, there's no reason for all of this to lead to war. And Otto's paranoia and ambition have created the whole situation. The correct action, as we've mentioned, would have been to do the opposite. The Otto, Alicent, and their kids should have been the most vocal and visible supporters of Aenira from the first moment she was named heir. What about the misogynistic lords that won't accept a female on the throne, you say? Well, they can't just overthrow the Targaryens, especially the united Targaryen family with all of their dragons. To rebel and put a male heir on the throne, they need a male heir stooge to do so. But if the Hand, the Queen, and the half-brothers of Rhaenyra are all aligned to support her, there's no one to support for anyone disgruntled about a woman ruler. If they stood all together, as Viserys stated in the earlier episodes, they'd have more than enough to handle any challenges from the lords of the realm. They've got eight to nine dragons. You don't even need the gold cloaks to burn the castles of every unleal misogynist in the realm. I thought this was pretty interesting, especially that line, the crucial line that, you know, a constructivist or a neoliberal can like see the other person's positions, but an, mm-hmm. uh, a neo realist can literally not conceive of the other person's worldview. In fact, and they're framing everybody else's worldview within their own. Yeah. In fact, any attempts to get you to see it from their point of view is going to be met with open hostility. Cause you're just trying, you're, yeah. you're, yeah, well, you are not me to put down my for- sword first. Fuck that. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, which is, that's what I've been trying to get. Like, this email kind of like puts it in like formal theoretical categories that like Mm -hmm. Otto sincerely believes this is the way the world works. And he sees it as a foregone conclusion. Thus the only rational act is to strike first. Yeah. No, that that
1: absolutely describes him to a T. Uh, He is a neorealist or a realist. I don't know.
2: So Nate says all that to say that King Jim Harris is correct. And this is all Otto's fault.
1: Oh Uh, yeah. Uh, I think that's that's easy to see, even if you don't have this uh, category
2: system. (laughs) All right, let's move on to Team Green and see their response. Daniel says, I just want to note for the record that Rhaenys, a Targaryen, just indiscriminately murdered hundreds, if not thousands of innocent citizens. I point this out because I'm waiting to watch the fan community express next to no outrage about this while instead doubling down on their hatred of Greens. Uh, (laughs) You're a black. How do you respond? Uh, how?
1: What number of ants would you not kill to be released from prison if you thought you were about to be executed? What are we talking about? My ants? No, the
2: animals. The oh ants? Okay, what, I thought what number you're talking of about family members? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think I would I, probably uh, not many. I wouldn't <laughs> kill many of my ants to get out of prison. I just, I just carry that weight. No, what, what number of ants? What, what number of of
1: Insects? Would you not kill to escape your own death?
2: Mm. That's you're right. That's, yeah. yeah, they're, they're, the, they're pests. Come folk. they don't they don't yeah, matter. In, in, lowborn in, in in aggregate, sure, but but one hundreds thousands, not not that big a deal. Um, the other way <laughs> I got is like, okay, I say that. It, it, look,
1: let's say I I don't believe that, right? I think the lowborn people commoners whatever are just as important as the royals here but well
2: see no we don't have to say this shit because we're Americans we abolished all these class and social distinctions so we're all the same we're all at the same level we don't have I sure mean, obviously that's yeah, obviously me, me delusional and Fiction, there's no but, yeah. difference no no not at all me and Elon Musk as far as quality life you both life, get one vote Jim what's the problem
1: that's true that's true I, I, so, I can vote with all of my dollars in just the exact way that he can vote with all of his
2: yeah the other thing is like okay let's let's construct a scenario in which a person's falsely imprisoned and -hmm. they have an elaborate scheme to bust out and they're gonna make uh (laughs) they're gonna make toilet nitroglycerin
0: and they're gonna they're
2: gonna they're gonna form that into sticks and they're going to put it against the cell the wall of the cell and they're gonna blow it up unbeknownst to them there's a school bus of children on the other side of that wall and Mm -hmm. it gets blown to hell is the prisoner morally culpable for the death of those children
1: well, I I don't know that we can claim that it's unbeknownst to Rainis that she's going to that there are people across this floor. She just came. Maybe from this that is the world's fastest
2: coronation, and she thinks like, by <gasps> okay. sure, yeah, I've, yeah. surely, surely I've, I've waited long enough. Time. enough. Yeah, okay. they gotten out of here. Did you see me struggle
1: into this armor? It took at least ten minutes, at least. Uh, yeah, I didn't have anybody yeah. helping me. It might she have taken three on f- hours.
2: She had to put on full fucking plate armor with no assistance, no squire. Yeah. Nope. That's that actually kind while. of fucking amazing. I wonder if Bailey's <laughs> yeah. helped her. I, I would love to see like these dainty little, <laughs> little, little claws, you know, holding up uh-huh. the breastplate for her to shrug into. Like, you know, here you nice. go, mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I think she heard the cheering. She did and and she didn't give a shit. But I'm just saying, you know, she's trying to un- break free from unjust captivity here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dappo from New Jersey. Is going to make a case for Otto. Here we go. We asked for it. Let's see if it works. Let's start at the beginning. The center of this show is a duty to, of the crown to maintain House Targaryen on the throne in order to avoid Aegon's dream. This is why Viserys went through multiple miscarriages with his beloved wife because a woman was not a reliable heir. He knows that better than anyone else. It's the sole reason he is king after all. Due to the guilt of killing his wife, he makes Rhaenyra the heir. Not because it's the right thing to do, but guilt. Again, by no fault of her own, she is an unreliable heir. This is where Otto comes in. He knows she's unreliable. She wasn't plotting to kill Queen Ama and replace her with Alicent, so I don't think he was driven by a search for power. What Otto did was recognize a problem created by the king's guilt and try to steer him to a solution. Remarry and try again. It is his duty, and also the realm, kind of depends on having a reliable heir or else the long night comes. Otto may have taken slight liberty by putting his daughter into the mix, but Viserys wasn't forced to marry her. Some people are hung up on how Otto benefits from this arrangement, but forget that even without Otto in the picture, the king still needed a male heir. If Sir Strong was his hand at the time, he would have suggested the same. Marry a new wife and make more heirs. Having one heir and a female at that was too risky. So King, you know, Otto's just, uh, he's just being leal for the realm, man. He's looking out. This is very similar yeah. to... Uh, this is very related hmm. to the neorealist theory, I think. Oh, totally. Um,
1: here's the thing. Where he, he's he's putting his thumb on the scale, right? Like we've talked about, he could have chosen the other path. Like I, I think of... uh I mean, this isn't the, the greatest of examples, but I think of Senator-slash-Emperor Palpatine uh, from the <laughs> Star Wars prequels. And I think about his line, I will make it legal. Mm. Why can he not make her reliable? Why can he not start changing the perspective of the people to match what the king wishes, what the king believes has to happen? uh,
2: And what is morally right, in my opinion? The other thing is, I think that this would be a more plausible theory of Otto's just trying to do what's right. than you know, in the third episode, I think the hunt where you see his brother being like, why aren't you trying harder to get this boy our our boy on the throne, you know? Mm-hmm. And like Otto's thinking like, dude, I have pushed so hard. His brother, So like, I think yeah. you're supposed to understand behind the scenes. This has been something that they've talked about. And that seems like an op- almost an open conspiracy mm-hmm. to at least, you know, subvert the King's will, you know, maybe you could argue it's best for the realm to avoid civil war and all that stuff. But like, it's certainly treasonous. The way he's doing it. Yeah, I would say. Um, it's interesting, though. I, I was thinking about this about to avoid. The, so like, if we go to shows like you have to have a Targaryen to unite the realm. Uh, it's interesting that. When the Roberts Rebellion happens, it seems like that closely co- coincides with the, the White Walker stirring up north. Like, maybe mm-hmm. Aegon, maybe this this would have happened 300 years ago, but Aegon saw it in his vision and caught it in time and got the Targaryens and, you know, like, and then, and then I was like, okay, if that's the case, like, what does a White Walker consider a Targaryen on the throne? Do they have to have the last name Targaryen? Do they have to have mm-hmm. one drop of Targaryen blood? Do they have to have at least half Targaryen blood? Yeah. Do they have to have... I don't know. Ride dragons like that's. I've always wondered when you say there always has to be a Stark in Winterfell. What the fuck does that even mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like how diluted could you get a Stark bloodline through intermarriage and stuff before it's like there's no longer a Stark in Winterfell? Not really. Not by the way the old gods are keeping score. Yeah. Anyway, Nick says um I couldn't help but think about Allison's out of the blue line in Episode Seven, Driftmark, where she snaps and attack Rhaenyra with the Cat's Paw dagger. Where is the duty? Where is the sacrifice trampled under your pretty foot again and lighted the wild foot scene with Larry's from this episode? I couldn't help but feel that part of Allison's breakdown in the scene is caused by the fact that she's being sexually exploited by Larry. Beginning this episode, let's not forget that creepy Larry's grin uh, is he, he's giving to Allison. Remember, we're talking about like, why is he leering at the queen this way? Mm hmm. Uh, it seems to me on reflection, this grinning is kind of a poise, glow. Step back to the first hmm. time these two meet for dinner after the time jump. And Allison actually takes off her shoes before sitting down for dinner. Oh, you're right. This expl- ex- exploitation has likely been happening since she was a child. It that's kind of tracks. Like it makes yeah, sense. Laris's special otherwise, rose
1: or whatever. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, and him just, like, leering at her at the party, and, you know, that, like, maybe this has been going on for a long time. Ugh, I didn't consider that. Uh, They say, this development adds so much more sympathetic depth to the show version of Allison. While Rhaenyra couples for love and passion, Allison's sexual encounters are either for duty, i.e. being pimped out by her father and having a decaying old man pump away on top of her. Full body shudder on that one or in this case sacrifice. Allison is forced to sacrifice her dignity and keep the foot jobs coming <laughs> to keep her children safe from the Game of Thrones. uh okay. yeah no I think this was this is uh not bad head head cannon and I, actually thing, I think
1: I go this does nothing for team green though. this does nothing to favor Team it Green because as,
2: Allison
1: as much as it sympathizes Allison, it makes Laris more the monster. Correct.
2: And he is on team. And he's green. on team green. Mm. Mm. It's a wash. But Allison's on the top of the greens, you know, and it's like you got to have your your leader above reproach. Right. I don't know. It like I mean, that that's ideally. Green, sure. but you're right. You just turned it on me. Um, yeah. I mean, although, Laris
1: is technically team green right now. I don't know if that'll remain true. That's the interesting but, question: Is Lara's team green? Oh, especially or, if if Renira does have the prettiest feet. <laughs> I mean, the
2: prettiest feet in the realm competition. Uh huh. Laris do might switch think, sides. Do you even think that the prettiness of the foot is, or is it the power and the the uh, discomfort that the queen is like? Oh, you think really he gets off there? on
1: making her a squirm?
2: I think so. At least it does, if not, it just doesn't bother him, which is like almost mm-hmm. as bad, you know? Yeah,
1: um, no, that's why the only thing that really like sympathizes Team Green for me at all is when Allison shows some kindness, some genuine affection for Renira, because, because that's like, yeah, you can say, Oh, Allison, poor Allison, she's been uh used and abused her whole life, and I agree. But she's been used and abused by other members of Team Green, and that does nothing for the
2: score of Green versus Black. Yeah, there's still lots of hot D to talk about. We'll be back right after the break. And now back to hot D. Uh, all right, let's move on to Jason B. Says you said Sir Kristen is a hypocrite, but I totally disagree. In his eyes, all women are sacred so long as they aren't are they are pure and haven't ruined. His or their vows. He gave in to temptation and slept with Rhaenyra. In his eyes, Rhaenyra used him and cast him aside without a second thought. He soiled his white cloak and all for nothing. So in his eyes, Rhaenyra is no longer a woman worthy of respect or admiration. I don't get why this is so hard to understand. It's fair. I don't know, man. When you say all women are a reflection of the mother you're 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 get, you're getting into the no true scotsman fallacy where it's like sure, that sure. you know if you're just like well rainier is not a woman because she's proved mm-hmm. herself to be a this or that or the other you know like it's easy to make you know a class of people completely blameless and pure if you just carve out all the exceptions and say they aren't this or they aren't that right <laughs> right right um so like i don't know i i think uh i case. is it really that hard to understand why a black would have a problem with this behavior really is it really hard to understand <laughs> like i can understand where you're coming from and i can articulate it but like mm-hmm. i don't think it's hard to to see the other way uh, as well but that's that's why greens versus blacks is so much fun uh yeah. that will conclude the council of the Gra- the blacks and the greens uh we're gonna transition into the maesters corner which is not spoilery at all this week. Um, or at least the part with me and a- Anthony. John asks, will you be doing any Game of Thrones or Hot D stuff over the long season break? So this is something we are currently working out and planning on. I think the current plan is the yes. I am going to continue with Maester Anthony in some capacity. I know that we've got a rough plan to kind of do some transition material where we do a, a close reading of where we've gotten in Fire and Blood so far and compare it to the show and kind of identify all the different choose-your-own-adventures that they picked and, like, the things that they embellished and the things that were kind of right on. I think that'll be interesting. And then eventually, Anthony, you know, he just finished Game of Thrones before we got to uh, House of the Dragon. And uh, he's going to resume with the clash of... No, a Storm of... Sw- clash of Kings, I think, is the first one that comes up. Uh, So he's going to do a chapter by chapter uh, read of that. I might be participating in those in some capacity, Um, but then regardless, every 10 to 12 weeks, I think Jim and I are going to come back and uh, round up some uh, House of the Dragon slash Jon Snow sequel, because, you know, that's something that's Mm been rumbling. We should start hearing some news out of that production soon. Uh, because this, this this Hot D feed is going to contain all A Song of Ice and Fire televised material universe stuff. So yeah. just like we did kind of the lead up to Hot D, we're going to start doing that in the off season as well. So there, you know, I think there'll be lots of compelling content if you're a Game of Thrones fan or if you want to keep up on, on Hot D. And uh, I wonder what fun acronym Jon Snow sequel would be. The JSS, it's just J-J-S-S, just Jon Snow sequel. Boy, I wonder what the crossover between our Walking Dead and Game of Thrones audiences. Just Survive Somehow, just just, uh-huh. just or Jon Snow sequel. Um, so that's the current plan, and it might change a little bit. Um, also, it's everything is contingent on schedule. So even if I am a regular part of Anthony's podcast, I might have to dip out when we're doing tons of stuff on, on the other feeds. So um, Mm -hmm. none of these are promises. These are just things we're trying to work out. Um, But that's the, that's the plan going forward. And without further ado, the maester's corner, which is going to be Anthony is, it started off with us kind of doing a little bit of minor book versus show, like with the ambiguities and it turned into a referendum and a test of my green versus black Mm lealness. The answer might shock you. Let's, let's, let's get into the maester's corner. Maester Anthony, welcome back to the Maester's Corner. I'm always happy to visit with you, Aaron. So, well, thank you. We were we were conferring about what to talk about because, you know, we are kind of like, you know, there wasn't a lot of deep lore to kind of uh, dig into and unravel in this episode. Right. And you suggested um, something that I've touched on. And I, I went back and I listened to our Fire and Blood coverage. We did this like three years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's me, you, and Kim Renfro joined for the Dance of the Dragons part. Um, And we talked about it. And one of the things we often remarked on is how you've got this history – and you've got this very staid and stolid maester saying, burr, 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 burr. and then you've got this very prudish <laughs> yeah. septon, and they're going, burr, 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 burr. and then you got you know mushroom the fool that comes in and is like, burr, 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 burr. <laughs> and you know this this like that you're never quite sure what's real because they're presenting all this, um, although usually. Mushroom is always the one that's like, you know, uh, the maesters don't believe they very much discount. Oh, it's Mushroom being Mushroom. You had the idea of going through the season, you know, we're nine episodes in, It's only one left. Yeah. And kind of like reviewing what we thought we knew, what we definitely know, and what we now think about some of these ambiguities in the text and on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I thought I'll, it would be, be
2: interesting. The, uh, I so you're gonna be the Maester, and I'm not yeah, sure yeah. if I wanna be the prudish septon or the
0: the 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 fool. Probably probably yeah, a mix of both. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it's an interesting career transition, you know. If if we ever saw I don't know if we've ever seen a, a Maester become a fool or <laughs> <laughs> a fool become a maester. But I, I would imagine that you which would need would be, some sort of training, you know, retraining and whatnot. Which do you think would be more likely and which do you think, uh, you know, would be more entertaining? Like the yeah, fool, if, the if fool, the maester, maester, to fool. If Joffrey's king, right. anyone can become a fool at any time. That's you true. You can just be walking by and all of a sudden you're his new fool. Yeah, right? like so. Grandmaster Maester Pycelle, freshly shorn.
2: High degree of foolhardiness. You know, you could just put a cap, dunce cap on him and have him prance, and you get there. You yeah. go,
0: yeah, yeah. There's ambiguity in the text, but I think that they've really played into the ambiguities in the show. And I thought this for me, this kind of spurred when in this most recent episode, Amond calls his brother a wastrel. Which was a new word for me. I I never heard that word before. Oh yeah. I, had you heard that word before? I had, but I've never looked up the definition because every time it's okay. used in in context, it's
2: always co- pretty clear that you're talking about. Um, I guess that's the male version of a flibberty gibbet. Like, <laughs> is how I because like I so can't. I don't I haven't seen the definition yet. Uh, yeah. So so that that was my so, my thought. Yeah.
0: I pulled out my my handy Maester dictionary. Nice. And the 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 de- there's two definitions for the word wastrel. And one is a wasteful or good-for-nothing person. I thought oh yeah, that that works. I could see how uh Aemond might think this of his older brother. Um I mean he even wastes his seed at one point. Sure. This is a very wasteful person. The grave sin of Onanism. Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> Um Look out for lightning bolts. Um, <laughs> the second definition of wastrel is a neglected child. And I thought, what a perfect little ambiguity to throw into almost a throwaway line in this episode. Where, depending on your point of view, you could look at a- uh, Aegon. As either just a waste of space, you know he's just, he he treats the world like his garbage bin or whatever uh-huh, uh, or you could look at him as someone who's a result of bad parenting, and you know maybe he is a neglected child, maybe his father never loved him, maybe his mother's been putting these expectations on him and not really caring about him as a person, only in the office. Depending on how you view this particular family, it absolutely changes the, what you might think is a better definition for wastrel. Sure. And for me, that is indicative of a lot of plot elements of this story. And I think, and this is just my suspicion, but I think it might have something to say to the green and black dichotomy that mm. we found in the fandom. So, Aaron, I have put together a very sciencey, uh, objective, totally mastery doesn't reveal my, me as a green at all survey. Are you are and you agreeing? I'm gonna ask you <laughs> I'm not revealing anything. I'm gonna ask you to answer these questions of a survey I put together. All right. They each represent some kind of ambiguity in the show. And I, I'm curious to see how you will answer each of these. I don't know how you're going to answer them, So okay. it'll be interesting to hear how you do that. Maybe so there'll be some ambiguities my, generated in this segment. Maybe so. Number one. Did Damon say king for a day in his toast after the death of his nephew? Yes or no? So can, can are you going to hold me to this yes or no or can I expound? You can. I think that the, the the conceit of this is that we hope okay. you will expound. Gotcha. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> I guess it's going to be a, a two minute segment, otherwise. Um, so my feelings for Damon have definitely changed over the season. And I'll, I, before I answer this one, there's another one where there is a scene where Damon is spying on a small council meeting in the first episode yeah, and right. he's overhearing ha, uh, Otto harangue the king about how what a what a shit heel he is. Mm-hmm. And Otto essentially accuses Aemon the plotting regicide and Viserys says, "You think too ill of my brother. My brother doesn't even th- you even think about the king. It's uh, being the king It's too much authority, too much responsibility. Yeah, and he doesn't cut- have
0: that kind of ambition, right? Yeah,
2: and it cuts to Damon kind of chuckling to himself. And like at first, I interpreted that as the you know Damon thinking that the king is himself is being his brother's being foolish that he doesn't think that Damon would kill him or that he's not ambitious. But now that I've seen." The, most of the season, I interpret that as Damon chuckling of like Otto, you you fool. I would never hurt my brother. You know, like that's such a fun, like that's mm. funny to date like the idea that Damon right. would do anything to hurt you know, who he considers his family. I don't think even in his young, most impetuous, shittiest days, I don't think he would contemplate. So I think Damon almost certainly said king for a day in that toast. But it was mm-hmm. much more measured and rueful and sad, marking the occasion than a boastful jape.
0: Yeah, it's sort of more like someone using humor to sort of lighten a somber moment. Yeah, or even
2: starting off that way because you know there's a lot of carousing and whatnot. But you, you, mm-hmm. in that scene, you could even tell, even that after that episode, that Damon. You know, he didn't like when missaria put him on the spot to speak. And, you know, he's trying to think of something clever, something funny. But I think what mm. ends up coming out of his mouth is more heartfelt. And yeah, Otto spins that essentially. Yeah.
0: Yeah. OK, on this point, I think just to reiterate what I, I probably already said, but I think that the show wants us to notice that omission. Uh-huh and yeah. i think that the show wants to create a situation where we debate whether he says this or not sure. now you have answered yes which would be a an answer that would indicate be indicative of a green's answer but the caveat <laughs> the the caveat that you've provided has revealed you as a black I I'm I'm pretty yeah, that's part of part of my legal service to the podcast uh-huh. community is to make sure people know that I have a bias towards black for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Interesting that uh th- that you've leaned into the ambiguity. You're definitely on the black side, but you're leaning into the ambiguity. I'm sure. I'm trying to cut a olive, an olive yeah. figure. <laughs> Dark green. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, next question. Was Alicent right to keep her relationship with the king a secret from her best friend? Yes or no? <sighs> no,
2: I think that was, if you take Otto out of the situation as the most proximate cause, I think Alicent choosing to keep silent about this. But I but I think, I, I also don't judge her because the king told her, on no certain terms, don't tell your mm-hmm. your your best friend about this. And he's the king, mm-hmm. and she's a little girl, and she's on a mission from her dad that scares and confuses her. But no, mm-hmm. I think she should have been like, hey, yo, they're trying to put me and your dad together. That's messed up, right? And then Rhaenyra yeah. can say
0: what she has to say about it, and yeah. they could get all that out. But Yeah, legitimate answers on both sides. You could say she is obeying what the king's wishes are. Right. She's, Absolutely, she's yeah. doing leal service to her. Yeah, Or lord to the Lord of the Seven Realms or the Seven Kingdoms. But see, that's the um, thing. Yeah. being leal. You got to choose your leal too, because that that's automatically right. made her not leal to her best friend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the 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 green answer would be yes. She did the right thing, right? So, um, but of course, the point to this exercise is to show that there are legitimate answers on both sides. So, yeah. all right, Next question is Otto correct. When he says that Rhaenyra's coronation will result in civil war. This is a big
2: one. See, this is and this is so much of the conflict between blacks and greens, because I can tell yep. good King Jim Harris, as much as I've tried to work on him, doesn't really believe that there would be a inevitable civil war with Rhaenyra taking the throne. And I think Martin, you know, throughout Fire and Blood and in and, and this series is all but screaming Westeros is super sexist, and no matter what foundation was laid for it, there would be – I'm not sure if it would get to full civil war, but there would almost certainly be a rebellion and an uprising and a succession attempt, Mm -hmm. um, which would necessarily lead to violence and bloodshed. Just because I keep coming back to this number, uh, Fire and Blood tells us it was 20 to 1, the amount of lords backing Rhaenus' claim versus – viserys's claim Mm. and did how how much did things change in 20 to 30 years Mm -hmm. probably Mm -hmm. not much so i think that like and that's the thing it's like it doesn't aegon doesn't have to press his claim that's the important thing i think people need to realize is that others will press it for him they'll be like boo this queen we want a king aegon look at him he's blonde he's targaryen uh he's tall uh, we don't know anything about his wastrelness. We want him, and and lords would prop him up, and 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 do violence in his name, whether he wanted it or not. So that's that's what I think. Okay, so you're leaning yes on this. I think Otto is right. absolutely politically correct in his an, or analysis of the political okay, situation. This is, is
0: interesting because this is a greenish answer. <laughs> and let me follow up by saying, if the consequence is civil war whatever Otto does dirty pales in comparison to, to a civil war. Right. I mean, from Varys' point of view, if we bring Varys into this, see, this is the, very much a consequentialist. He's like, what is going to be the choice? I don't care what you think is ethical. I want to know what is, what choice will save the most common pe- folks lives? Well, see, that's where like, um,
2: you know, pacifism and, uh, pragmatism, runs into the face of reality because you know it's good to be anti-war and it's good to be um you know like well we're going to try to make the the less choose the lesser of two evils um that, those are all good good organizing principles for one's life but at some point to make any kind of real progress you have to stand and fight you know you mm. can't just let mm. you can't just be oh there's going to be a fight over this oh I guess I'll back down I'll concede or whatever that's and and one might argue that it would be good for the realm once and for all to sort this session, this question of whether women have a right to rule, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because okay. it probably won't be the only time it comes up and the only time it puts the realm in jeopardy. So, like, kind of like the American Civil War, at some point you can't compromise, you can't look the yeah. other way, you can't be like, "Well, you do it on your, your on your side of fence, then we'll do it." You have to stand and fight, and I feel like. Right the correct decision would have been 20 years ago to fully put the, the, the might of the realm behind Rhaenyra and prop her up and get her properly groomed for power. And then the die is cast and whatever Lords buck against it. You make an example of them and hope so, it doesn't yeah.
0: split the I, realm I think, in two. Yeah. I think that we've illustrated here that there, there is a lit- a legitimate argument to say Otto's Right. And maybe he's a maybe he's a dastardly fellow uh, regardless. Mm-hmm. Right. But I guess it, yeah. c- it really comes down to what do you think the consequences are? For and also, that, what do you think the hand's responsibility is? The hand going is supposed to, you know, do his best to
2: enact the king's will. Or is the hand supposed to manipulate things to his liking? Because that's where, you know, Otto's political analysis is correct. It's just that he is not faithful to the king.
0: Yeah, it's, it's something that Steve and I were talking about a while back. We were like, "Okay, if you were king, you would want the best political mind as hand, right?" And if the answer is right, then you think, "What are the chances that that guy's not going to be scheming?" Right? Yeah, guys, guys like, guys like uh, Strong.
2: You know, Lord Strong. You they're... want you
0: almost want someone that's like a a, a little bit high on. You know, you think about like the West World, like uh, you know, uh, intelligence. scores versus like their comedy scores or whatever. You almost want your AI that you create to not be the highest political mind, but the highest of uh, sort of their leal service. They want they want you want loyalty to outrank the political part of it. But you also want a political mind, right? You got to have them
2: both. And the political minds probably are pretty ambitious. Um, That's right. That's why Lord Strong
0: was so, so special. Indeed, he was until he got burned. All right, yep. next question. Did Damon travel to the Vale intending to kill his first wife?
2: Boy, this is something that they don't even hint at really in the books. This is something that's in the gaps. And I got to say, as filmed, I think he did. I think he he's wearing his, what we now know as his crime cloak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. waiting until his lady wife gets way out into the wilderness where nobody's gonna hear or see. And uh, you know, someone wrote in with an e-feedback that like they made a big point of Damon stinking like dragon and how mm. that would be so terrifying to a prey species because we've heard that like Blair and the Black Dread could swallow battle horses and or oxes, the, the that, that spook the horse. Oh, right. And that yeah, like he stank of dragon. Got yeah. close and the, and the horse smelt and terrified and bucked. And, and the way he kind of approached the horse and kind of put his hand to his neck. I kind of think that, yeah, yeah, he did. He, interesting. Interesting. Also, the timing, like he wanted to get out of this thing. That was a reason that people kept on
0: throwing it in his face. He was wanting to clear the path for Rhaenyra. It seems pretty clear All to right. me. Interesting again that you're choosing a greenish answer. And this is very fascinating. 100% leal. I'm telling you, this Lord Commander, <laughs> he's, got, he's, he's just doing what's best for the realm. Call it <laughs> as he sees it. Did Renera lie to Alicent in the Godswood about her night with Daemon? Yes or no? Yes, 100%. Sh-
2: nothing. I don't know what exactly happened, but nothing is not a fair description of what mm.
0: didn't happen you know mm. they all but had penetrative sex okay interesting i think that the uh, the other view on this would be to say uh she's being accused of coupling right <laughs> and she's denying the accusation and she's right to, to deny it that ain't that ain't that 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 ain't, ain't leal. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the thing is that's why I think "leela" is such a great word because it's not just honest. It's also mm-hmm. faithful, you know, okay. which is not like that. That precludes lies of omission. And I think mm. Rhaenyra, you know, cause like if she's going to be like a true friend, uh, yeah. she'd be like, look, here's the, here's the tea sis. My uncle awaited me. We went to a pleasure house. Things got hot and heavy. Uh, we were kissing, we're making out, it was crazy, and then he just ghosted me. And then I went that back to the be, castle and that I fucked Sir Kristen.
0: That'd be the whole truth, right?
2: That would be where, like, Allison's like, okay, and I think if she said that, like, Allison could process it and, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, because, da- uh, yeah, that clears Damon. like, I don't know. That would be, okay, it'd be this, interesting this what the is... truth would actually do in that situation, because that would literally clear Damon, Yeah, you know, of wrongdoing. It would probably burn Sir Kristen Cole. I, I don't know. I don't, it'd be interesting interesting counterfactual. What, what do you think would happen if Rhaenyra was 100% honest with
0: Alicent that night? Um, I think, I think that she would, I think it might have mended a lot of misunderstanding between the two. Going but forward. but it would have fucked up a lot of things in the realm. Like, But if you think about Alicent's response, she, she's moving forward as if she does trust um, Rhaenyra. So... Like, like she goes to her fa- you know, she goes to her husband and says, your daughter is not, it's not in her nature to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is in Damon's nature to lie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if it changes much.
2: I think, I think maybe it gilds or beheads Sir Kristen Cole. And honestly, after seeing him in nine episodes, that's I, true. Fun fact, Sir Kristen Cole, the only character that's been in all nine episodes. I've seen a lot of this guy, and I think uh, him, him gelded at the
0: wall or beheaded is a good look for him, honestly. Interesting. Okay, yeah. this next question is kind of, uh, kind of a parallel to the last question. Did Renera lie to Renice in the Godswood about her innocence in Lenore's death?
2: I think she is lit- this is another thing about being honest versus being, you know being leal uh I think she answered the absolute truth, but um there's a lot more What she to the says story. is
0: literally true right yeah. what she says is yeah. literally true and yet it is intended to conceal a key part of that truth and unfortunately, for near it's like the
2: uh, it would be better for her if she gave the real Leel answer, you know, like actually told, you know, Raynus like what actually happened because Raynus, you know, I think, Rha- I think Rhaenyra has a reputation for this kind of crap at this point. And Rha- Raynus is drawing the wrong conclusion from that answer, you know. Mm, mm. Interesting. She's treating her like Michael Corleone saying, I didn't have anything to do with it, Kay." I didn't literally yeah. pull the trigger. I didn't literally, right. you know, I, I didn't literally give somebody an order to a button man. But like we all know that really, Michael is the
0: responsible one for us. So, yeah, I yeah, I think she told the truth, but she wasn't being leal. OK, so those last two questions mirrored each other. You took a green and a black so that that you again sort of leaning into the ambiguity for sure. Next question. Did Alicent kill the maidservant who was Aegon's victim? Yes or no?
2: I think yes. I think... If I only go by what's on the screen, a hundred percent. But people have pointed out to me that there's been behind the scenes material, or maybe it's an interview. I, I, I still haven't compiled all the feedback, but that's some an impression I got is that one of the showrunners or the director has stated that, like, "Oh, we didn't intend you to think that." Which I don't give a fuck. I don't like. There's nothing that a director or a writer can say that will override what put, was put on the screen. You know, Mm -hmm. like this was goes Mm -hmm. back to like when Jamie raped Cersei and the director and the writer and everybody's like, oh, you know, it's it's kind of blurry, but still consensual. Like, fuck. No, it wasn't like I got eyes. I got ears. I can I can adjudicate what is on the screen myself. Thank you very much. And I do. Yeah, I do. I think
0: Allison kills the maidservant. Okay, let me push back a little bit on this. Just to see where it goes. All right. This episode, this last episode, she's debating the ethics of murder with her father. Uh huh. And I was saying, look, this. This is for the good of the realm. This is a sacrifice for the realm. And she said, it is not weakness to be reluctant to murder. Is it possible? I mean, of course, the show's leaning into the ambiguity, but I'm just like putting my thumb on the other scale and saying, uh, she's she's really laying into this poor girl really hard on not telling it, you know, telling anyone outside the room. Is it possible that she does just give the girl moon tea and then spirit her away to Dorne or something like that? Yeah, it's possible, and I wouldn't call someone an idiot that believes that. I just think that when you have
2: a person saying, you know, how can we know that you won't, you won't, uh, you won't tell anybody? And she's like, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. And you give her a bag of gold and a mysterious substance, and then say, mm-hmm. Hey, this is the only way to be sure. Those logically connect. You, the child thing is only there by inference, yeah. but like if the literal connection is, how do I know you won't tell? This is the only way to be sure. I I, I think, yeah, I, I think they, they, they and the fact that they uh, that uh, Diana was noticeably absent
0: later in the episode. Um, Yeah, she's she's in Dorn. She's hanging out on the beach in Dorn, man. She she's enjoying her (laughs) retirement. She's on the what was the uh, uh, this one is a little bit goofy because Allison acts horribly either way. Well, the thing is, is like she says, it's trying to silence a victim, right? She says it's not
2: a weakness to be reluctant to murder, but she can and will murder. She's just reluctant. It's just like it's it's
0: last thing she wants to do, but she'll do it if she has to. And I think she felt in this situation she has to. All right. Well, interesting. You're leaning definitely black on that one. It's pretty. That's my that's my blackest answer yet. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, for the record, I don't think she did. I don't think she killed her. There I think I, I I entertain the notion. I think mm. I don't think I don't, I don't think she's got a taste for murder. Um, I think Ugh. that's why Laris is around. It ain't easy um, being green, brother. It ain't easy being green. <laughs> <laughs> like the frog said. Ne- next. <laughs> Next one, that wise old frog. Uh, Was Veyman justified in his accusations of Rhaenyra's children? Yes or no? Yes, he's literally correct.
2: He's literally correct. Rhaenyra is treasonous. She has put bastards in line for the throne. Uh, She's defrauding the realm, and he's just telling out loud what everyone
0: knows as the unvarnished truth. And Was as, a, a, result wise, deceit, as yeah. a result of her deceit as a result of her deceit, his line is going to end. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's that's and, the green
0: position. And they're right. Like, uh,
2: okay, if, if, so, if we're going to if we're going to count coup and or count count uh, or whatever, counter chips and see who's got the best claim, Ranira fucked up as soon as she put bastard children in line for the throne because that's already mm-hmm. treason so anything that Otto does and Allison does as a response is responding to that original treason uh, but then you got to go it's like well then you know is Aegon actually better than Je- And that's where you start getting into sticky stuff but mm-hmm. yeah no Vaiman's mm-hmm. justified he just wasn't wise <laughs> that's true not politically wise but well, but he's right. the
0: one guy in the room that's that's uh, at least at least speaking the truth right and of course yeah. uh, as a result of that Damon straight up murders him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, probably with the the, the you know, the the king probably would have been fine with that. But but you know, Vasiris doesn't have a taste for murder either, you know? He's he's not he's not a guy that pulled the trigger of No, nah, he would have pulled the guy's tongue. I think he for sure would have cut the guy's tongue out, but uh he
2: wasn't too mad, obviously, of Damon slopping his head off because he got no, a said he something. certainly. He certainly,
0: didn't. certainly was it. Anyway, yeah. so it's interesting. Um all right, so you're giving more of a greenish answer on this. hmm Um all right. The, the the next one really doesn't have a a good like a, a yes or no answer, but I will I will say it anyway. Uh Eamon uses the term wasteful wastrel of his brother. Which are the following definitions of wastrel describes Aegon better. A wasteful or good for nothing person, or a neglected child or is it meant to, or or are both definitions accurate? I think a better definition for Aegon is a wasteful or good for nothing
2: person because man, that's the question. Like let's, let's take like helicopter parents. Are you familiar with that term? Absolutely. So these, these these
0: these these <laughs> parents that hover over their children from, from, when, from time
2: to time. I've definitely helicoptered. Right, you start off early, three years old, and your kid gets a fight in the playground. You go and straighten everything out, and you mm-hmm. you in elementary school, you ask the teacher to, to you know give give him leniency for this, and then you are calling. Uh, you know when they graduate and they go through college, you're leaning on their professors to do this that. And they're just, mm-hmm. just overly involved. The child is that neglecting. A child, because it's it's it's, it's it's the opposite. Most most psychologists,
0: you're you're suffocating them, right? Um, Or Uh, you you could do. I think you could lean in. I think there's evil on both extremes, right? But it's it's certainly not neglect. And I think that's what
2: I come down with Aegon. That he wasn't neglected. It seems like Viserys had took an interest in him, watched his training, was kind of delighted in his children just in general, Mm, and Alicent certainly spent a lot of time and effort on him. It's just that. She, you know, I, I kind of got a little bit of familiarity what it's like to have a hyper-religious mother that's got plans for your future. Uh, and that can definitely fuck you up, but I don't think neglect. I don't think it's
0: neglect. I think it's... Uh, huh? And- because I think when he says my he laughs. He's like, no, he did not say that I was the next king. My right. father hated me. And I think that's not necessarily neglect either, but I do think that there's something about... Why do you think this why do you think he felt that way? Because I never got a single
2: thing where Viserys hated I him.
0: Viserys, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, reasonable people can disagree, but I think Viserys was generally a good guy. I think Aegon is a total ass. And I think that there's probably some friction there. Huh? Yeah, it could be. I don't know. I mean, he th- whatever the case is, he thinks that his father hated him. I think that was an authentic
2: statement. Yeah. On the screen it seems like he never did that and every time he talked about like when he was yelling at his family this the beats like he always mentioned how much he loved them all. And that's the reason why he was doing this is because he just loved uh, all these faces and he loved yeah. So it's like maybe Viserys never
0: actually hugged him and said I love you son, but uh mm-hmm. Okay. So you're interesting you're leaning black a little bit on this. Um, but I think that there's, I think that yeah, it's interesting. This, this next one is, this is the last one. And I think this is a, just the most interesting question on the survey. What did Allison say after she calls Aegon an imbecile? Does she say, I'll give you three possibilities. You come up with your own if you want. You imbecile, do your duty. Or does she say, you imbecile, of course I love you. Or does she say nothing? I
2: I made an analogy to Fiddler on the Roof uh on this one, you know, how Tevya and Goldie are, you know, after when oh, they're gosh. doing
0: all the that's too, that is way, way <laughs> I don't think Allison has that Tevia Bone in her body. I don't think but, t- Allison and Tevia are even in the same league. But no, it's like, you know, because like in, in here, Tevia is like asking his
2: wife. It's like, you know, we were put together. We we're an to arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. Do you actually love mm-hmm. me? And like she keeps dodging the question, dodging the question, dodging the question. It and is she's one like, of the most for touching years, moments in I've, all of acting. <laughs> yeah. She's like, for 25 years, I've washed your clothes. I've cooked your meals. Yeah. I cleaned your house. I've given you children. I milked your cows. After 25 years, why are you asking me about love
0: right now? You imbecile. She doesn't say yeah, if that. that's not love. She says, if that's not love, what is right? Right. That's the and, end. And of I think it. I think that's what. Yeah. What Golda says to Tevia is basically, you know, th- that answer. It's like you imbecile. Of course, I love you. Um, but it's almost like she's it's like like Golda is a little bit perpe- perplexed by the question. My sense is that Allison is like. What does that have to do with anything? Like you've got to do your duty here. What What does my love have to do with anything? That's that, an interesting that's interpretation. I
2: can that I think tech. If I just read that off the script, I'd be not. But like Olivia Cook, unfortunately, puts a little bit of sparkle in her eye and, and a smile on her face and warmth in her tone. And I interpret the uh, I interpret it very much of like if you know. For twenty years, I've mm-hmm. murdered your handmaids that you've deflowered. I've put a awning under your window to catch all your spill seed, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I've interceded between you and your father, and, and and I tried not to get you killed. And if that's not love, what is? Like I, I think mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's that's where it went. Um, okay, well, it's interesting. because also you, Aegon in the final answer that. does not seem to be giving whole. Like my mother told me she never loved me, kind of like he seems to be <laughs> scared
0: about the crown, but you know, I don't know. I that's what I think. Okay, well, it's interesting. Your last answer leans green, and so scientifically, we have now proven that Maester Aeron is 100% Leal. <laughs> Leal for what? Leal for green. <laughs> you're, you're you are absolutely leaning, uh. In equal parts, black and green, according to my survey. Good, good. Yeah, that means my brain is still functioning. Oh my you're, god, you're Leal, you're Leal to the bald move community. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what my sciencey, uh, absolutely what, mystery survey has proven.
2: What is what kind of metal is the master's link for Aeronology? Because I think you just forged it. Yeah, we just we just forged you a new link. It's tin, Um, tin and tin (laughs) and aluminum. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's balsa wood.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, not very sturdy. Not very sturdy, that link. (laughs) So I thought it was an interesting and I just want to I just want to reiterate, if you're listening, the whole point of this exercise is to say that the show means to leave out key parts of the plot and make you decide. And of course you're going to bring your own confirmation biases to the story and how you make these decisions tells you a little bit more about yourself and not necessarily everything you need to know about True. The, on the screen. True. You bring a
2: lot of, lot of baggage into this. And and what I really admire about the show and what I never expected them to do is how faithful that is to the tone of the book where, mm-hmm. You're never really quite sure, even when the macer comes out and says something happened, if it really happened that way and why. Because yeah, there's so yeah. many differing details and and the details are not like the exact what that happened, although sometimes you you get like this Green Council is fascinating because no one uh there's no kind of eyewitnesses to what happened in there. Um uh, mm-hmm. so it's all a lot of mm-hmm. but like um you, you know, you 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 sometimes a lot of times know what happened, but you don't know why. And for what reason, you know, because like that's where yep. months, you know, like mun, uh, you know, mushrooms like, oh, they're just horny. And the septons, like, oh, it's because, uh, you know, they had a religious conflict. And the maester's like, oh, because it's politically advantageous. And I love how House of the Dragon is retaining that quality of fire and blood by just never making it so debatable what's happening and mm. kind of doing that. And that's one of the reasons I think the community is reacting so strongly to it, because there is usually you can just yeah. beat someone up with cannon. Like in yep. this scene, on this page, on this paragraph, they said this and you said they said this. And that means you're wrong. Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. so much more shades of gray in this show. I think it's
0: great. Absolutely. It, anyway, I just think that this uh, exercise uh, really revealed a lot. I, I, I think that we both took some risks. I think depending <laughs> on how this went, we could have ended our friendship right here. Mm. Hmm. Um, but, but I think we're both better for the experience. So Did you I, I appreciate have sex you with Sir Christian Cole in God'swood, Anthony? <laughs> tell me true. No, I can literally say that we never kissed. Okay. Well, you know, Aunt, uh, Master Anthony is not given to lies, so, uh. <laughs> I didn't tell you the entire truth, but <laughs> I will say that, that he never kissed me on the mouth.
2: No, I appreciate, um, it, and, and uh, hopefully we'll get some some nice juicy lore that we can dig into for the final episode. Um, absolutely, uh, but yeah, it has, it's been fun. And uh, tell people that what what are you what are you excited uh, for people to enjoy coming out of the Anthony uh, Cinematic yeah. Universe?
0: I think that a lot of our listeners already know that I've got a podcast called Cocoons of Horror where we cover uh, film, and this week. I covered The Green Knight, the 2001, or sorry, uh, 2021 film, The Green Knight, with the world's foremost expert on Medieval Knights. Damn, that's Um, cool. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's me and Carol Parrish Jameson. If you're interested in that, uh, by the way, great film, but if you're interested in that, uh, you can search for cocoons of horror wherever you search for podcasts. Sounds good. Uh, Alright thanks so, a lot man Yeah we'll see you next week for another Maester's Corner Later see ya.
2: Okay we're done with the Maester's Corner But as we sometimes do We've got a little bit more like lore feedback uh, Things we want to talk about I do want to say again I don't consider this a spoiler unless you've read the books I mentioned last week I had a couple of pr- hypothetical situations That could happen in the next two episodes I am Extremely confident That that my two dudes on a mission being hindered by a third dude is going to happen this week. And it's going to be <laughs> pretty spectacular. I'm not sure about the two dudes reprisal. That could be an end of episode hammer, in which case people's minds will be blown. It could also be saved as an early next season kind of like, you know, a uh, splash moment. So I, I'm not sure about mm-hmm. that, but I'm, I'm I'm ready to stake a lot on the two dudes on on a mission being hindered by a third dude. So, keep your eyes peeled for that prophecy to come true. Let's let's move on to Tom. It says I'd be interested to hear whether you think viewers would enjoy the show more if they read Fire and Blood up until the timeline of the current episode and if so, how much of the book would that be? Um, so I've I've been repeating numbers that I've heard on other podcasts and stuff, and I think there's different ways to judge how much material from fire from fire and blood is in house of the dragon i think a lot of people are keeping count and they're skipping all the prologue but if you if you start on the the page of the book where uh the old king jaharis convenes the great council um and you go all the way to at least the aftermath of the dance of dragons Um, So it starts on 344, this great council, and it ends at page 590. That's 246 pages out of a 700-some page book. Uh, We are currently, as of episode 9, on page 402. I mentioned that the last few weeks have really started turning to pages. So Mm -hmm. we've done 58 pages out of 246. Mm -hmm. Will you enjoy the show more? I don't know because... It seems almost universal. Before we saw the show, from people that read Fire and Blood, that like the Dance of the Dragons was a little dull. It was a li- It was you know hmm. very thin characters introduced pages before they would either die or do something important. Um, two very vain and kind of haughty people, uh, you know, jockeying for just naked power. The show has done so much better a job at. Fleshing out the motivations and the relationships and and frankly, adding and embellishing things that, you know, one of the reasons it took us like five episodes to get through 14 pages is because they're just making so much stuff up, uh, making up so many more motivations and not never directly contradicting the canon mostly. So, like, do you to me, I like like if I if, if I could hand you right now a three page or or like a 10 page outline with bullet points of every major plot point that's going to happen in the next three to four seasons. And I said, this is a hundred percent accurate. Would you read it? Or would you be like, you know what? I'd rather wait for the show because you're so dry. You're very close to getting that by reading the books. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, It's been really fun because of the way the book is written as a choose your own history where it's like, you know, Maester, this said this up and this and then Mushroom says this. It's been really fun as a book reader to see which of those things that they're kind of lean into and sometimes how they kind of like go between, you know, like try to mesh those those opinions. It's been really fun and satisfying. Um, So, like, both would work. But if you're if you're this far and you haven't read, I honestly would not would not would not read it or um you could also read up until the point that you're at now because like there is a lot of interesting background about like you know jaharis and and his queen and the uh, egg on the conqueror and stuff like that but you're gonna or, do you want to read uh 344 pages to properly understand the dance of dragons place in targaryen history you, you got a hundred years of not a lot going on to get to that point. You know, you got Meg mm-hmm. or the cruel. He's gonna, he's kind of interesting, but
0: <laughs>
2: the long 50 plus year reign of Jaharis where it's peaceful and that you know, that's like, uh, yeah, but I don't know. There's, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I just can't make that decision for you. Um, Marcus wants to know, Aaron, I want to know if you'd consider expanding the master's corner to a full fledged spoiler episode again. If not that, then maybe doing one big spoiler episode at the end of each season to discuss the upcoming events in the dance and all the fun theories that go along with it. I think there's so much to talk about, and I love your spoiler additions during the original series. The spoiler theories don't just have to be about the dance either. I think it'd be fun to take a look at past events and do a deeper dive in older lore. I think the only problem for me is that like I did, like, what, 27 of these spoiler episodes, and I had to abandon it in even though they're very popular in season seven and eight, because I just kind of ran out of new stuff to talk about. Mm -hmm. And since George has stubbornly refused to write another fucking book, that remains the case a decade later. Um, I I think I did like we did, um, when, when it's, when appropriate to do like a spoiler where it's like, oh, this is, you know, it's like, oh, we got these eggs. Is is it date But it's like just really minor stuff. Um, if there ever comes up where there's a big thing or this show really adds to the lore or changes our mind about like, you know what things happen in the game of Thrones, main trilogy or not trilogy, main series, I I'd probably do that, but it wouldn't be something I could sustain. There's, there's just no way um, there's not enough new material being made. So, um, but yeah, I, if, 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 if it makes sense, I, I would resurrect that uh, for sure. And the other thing is like, the other crucial thing that's different is like one of the magics of the spoiler is like you had this where you had five books loaded with all these crazy details and the show confirming denying some of them but you didn't know the ending so there was a lot of fun to speculation there is no speculation about the end of Dance of Dragons mm-hmm. you know you get to page what did I say you get to page 590 and that's it that's it unless the show just completely th- and I don't think with George as the executive producer you're going to see them just discard all of his shit like we did with game of thrones because like there's nothing wrong with the dance. it's just a little it's just a little dry because it's just big action sequences by people that you don't really know or care or love about i fucking love Mm -hmm. a bunch of people in this show now so Mm -hmm. um finally we got matt from good lad uk Says, my question is about how strong the potential connections to the Game of Thrones series with Lord Lionel and Sir Harwin dead. This makes Lord Larys the only remaining member of House strong. My question is this. In the original Game of Thrones series, Cersei slash Kyburn names the reanimated corpse of Sir Gregor Clegane as Sir Robert Strong when making him as part of King Tommen's Kingsguard. Is there some connection between this new name for the mountain and the how strong we have on House of the Dragon? We've already seen Lord Laris in scenes in the Black Cells of the Red Keep as Lord Confessor. and the Black Cells is where Turk ter- took Sir Gregor's body for his experiments. It seems Laris Strong is a master of whispers of sorts, and this is also a position that Kyburn held in Game of Thrones. If Laris is a Greenseer, he could be living uh, on in Kyburn after greenseeing out of his body at the time of his eventual death in the House of the Dragon timeline. Oof. Whoa. That's 200 years of warging. He would have to be, but I don't know if he's a powerful enough green seer. What tree has he grown into? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my theory may be spiraling, but there's too many ser- similarities between Laris and Kybern along with the use of the name strong for it's all to be coincidence. What are your thoughts? So uh, he actually said this to me last week and I'm like, this is actually kind of cool. I've first I've heard of it. So I, I need to do a bit of research and I've have, and it doesn't seem like there's any clear answers, the consensus seems that this is either a private joke for Kyburn or like an open affront or challenge, and it goes like this: the private joke theory works out that Kyburn spent significant times in Harrenhal. Um, that's where we found him at the start, you know, of, of us coming to his acquaintance in Game of Thrones. Um, very slight spoilers, but. I can say that House strong never really recovers from the treachery that Laris dealt them. And then the overall participation, the dance and this house is going to go distinct or extinct in the future. Uh, by the time you get to game of Thrones, there is no House strong left. They're like the reigns of Castamere. They're just gone. Okay. It's likely that Kybern, serving in Hall who was one, you know, the strongs were one of the Lords of that castle um, knows about this. So, It's an irony to him that he's resurrecting a dead knight and giving him the name of a zombie house, effectively (laughs) resurrecting them both. The open challenge angle is that since House Strong is a dead house, but is relatively storied, they had two hands of the king to their name. Uh, We've seen Lionel. There's another one. And you also had a member of the Kingsguard who's fairly infamous, uh, Sir Lucamore the Lusty. When we talk about... (laughs) Uh the Kingsguard. <laughs> bad nickname for a Kingsguard. Okay. Right. Well, he's one of the ones a Lord Commander had to geld because he couldn't keep his sword sheath. Ah, he earned it. All right. So the Strongs are kind of like a, a Kennedy type name. It's a <laughs> famous political name in Westeros. So people, <laughs> people know about couldn't how strong. His
1: sword mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Uh yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh People you the, the 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 lords will know about the house strong, the fact that it's a dead house. So when you get this eight foot tall giant Robert Strong, it's essentially the Lannisters thumbing their nose at the lords and saying, Yeah, we know what we did, you know what we did, we dare you to openly speak of it. And in fact, there's like the very closing of Dance of Dragons, there's um some internal dialogue, uh some interior dialogue of Kevin Lannister. Where he's essentially putting all this together and knows about it, but hmm. also knows that he's not going to say anything about it. So I think this theory holds a lot of weight. Um, finally, I did find some evidence that there's not a zero number of cell swords and essos that go around styling themselves as Strong's because it's an important family name that people know of and there's no one around to defend it or challenge them. So they're yeah. like, oh, yeah, we." turns out I'm the bastard or long lost of, and, and I'm keeping the strong name alive and that's, you know, you know us, mm-hmm. we're Kingsguard and we're... Right? It's a good selling point if you're a mercenary. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a show that we saw somebody take a famous last name and it was for that reason, that, like, no one is around to challenge it. I can't remember what it was.
0: Hmm. It might
2: have been the Gilded Age. But anyway, it, it might be the sneaky attempt to make people think... um. You know that like like Kyburn's like well I know there's cell swords over there in Essos there's no strongs over here. This giant just comes over out of nowhere. Ah, we might have got him from Essos. You know he was he was one of the the uh, the best cell swords in Essos or whatever. So but in the end it's just one of those uh, Song of Ice and Fire mysteries where we may never know the correct answer. And that's going to do it for our feedback episode this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to send us feedback for next week, uh, the finale episode. Hot D at BaldMove.com is where you want to do that. Of course, Twitter.com slash BaldMove is where you want to follow to find out what all we're releasing. We talk about tons of movies. In fact, we're going to do a first-run review of Black Adam, the new DCU uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson vehicle tonight. Uh, if you want to keep up on all of our doings, all of our movies, all of the TV shows we cover, Twitter.com slash BaldMove is the best place for that. Finally, if you'd like to support us, Uh, support.baldmove.com is how you do that if you want to get in on this finale episode it's going to be probably a banger I'm going to predict a banger episode if you want to discuss it live with us that's the only way to do it support.baldmove.com and enjoy ad free feeds and tons of other bonus content and we appreciate your support it keeps the bits flowing uh, and our pods casting that'll do it as I said uh, until Sunday night when we do the instant take and instant talk live for club members I'm your host Aaron and I'm Jim Keep it Leo.